available in more homes than the Pac-12 Network. We are the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online. And here he goes, Miles Jack! And I'm Ryan Abraham from USCFootball.com. Liner going to try to sneak it ahead. Touchdown, SC! We are the Podcast of Champions. Welcome, everyone, back to the Podcast of Champions. I'm David Woods. Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I'm Ryan Abraham from uscfootball.com. That's the USC site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And together we make the podcast of champions talking all things Pac-12 football. The six-week schedule is over. Now we're into bonus week seven, championship week seven, whatever you want to call it. We're going to Recap the final week. The UC, the, USC got screwed week seven. The USC got screwed week seven. The Colorado got screwed week seven for sure. But we're going to recap this the, the week six games. We'll preview everything that's going to happen this weekend. We're already down a couple of those. But if you have any questions or comments, you can email us, packedfootpodcast at gmail.com, or call or text us. We got a text and a voicemail today, 424 532 Seven eight. You can tweet us at Pac Twelve Podcast or go to the website Pac12Podcast.com. All the old episodes are up there. You can go to our Reddit page, Podcast of Champions. Feel bad we got our, our buddy Tom McNamara over there looking for uh, some Disney Princess or Civil War general uh, information or uh, ideas to who should replace Kevin Sumlin as the uh, Arizona head coach, which we're going to talk about in a minute too. But always Apple Podcasts. Please subscribe. Please rate us. Give us the five stars. That's always awesome. I think we got a good one this past week, David, uh, to uh, start off the show. Oh, we sure did. We sure did. From Gaucho Buff, five stars. Great podcast. I created an Apple account just to leave this review. While this might be a football podcast, the antics are what keep me coming back. Why they stopped using David's sound effects for the team intros is beyond me. As a Colorado fan, David, you can be an honorary buff on any given day, and thank you for reminding Ryan of what he thought our win total would be this year. Both are knowledgeable about the Pac-12, and I look forward to the podcast weekly. Go Buffs! That's a great one. He started an account just to leave us a review, so there's no excuses out there, people. If you don't have an Apple account, now you can just start one, just so you can leave us a review. Now, do I do I prefer abjectly negative to positive writing? Probably, but that's a commentary really on myself. That was a very nice review. It was. We appreciate it. Um, you guys are very nice to us, and we we thank you all for sticking with us in this crazy uh, COVID season. It's been a weird, really weird ride. We had a good week five as far as canceled game goes. Not so good in week six. So we'll we'll talk all about that. But David, we have some uh, breaking news. Turns out. I don't know if you know this, but like if you lose 12 football games in a row and then one of those football games, the last football game, you lose to your rival by 63 points. How many touchdowns is that? (laughs) Well, if you do the math, it's about 10. (laughs) Oh, no, to lose by nine. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. 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 All right. So, So, yeah, yeah. I'm getting your hypothetical. So if you lose, if you lose 12 games in a row, but who does that? Right. And then lose by nine touchdowns in your final game. But who does that? 
No. Well, Kevin Sumlin does that, and he oh. is he gone. Um, well, he actually he doesn't do that. He did that. Yes. He's 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 no longer he's no longer a head football coach in the Pac-12. Uh, I mean, when we're we're seeing from Jason Shear and other people, I think reporting that like it seemed like Arizona was going to do whatever they could to not have to fire him this year, and he, it's understandable, right? Because you know he was a pretty big name coach. You didn't want to see him extend that losing streak from last year, but obviously they did. But to get waxed like that by your rival, it just, I mean, absolutely boat raced. And it looked like there, we'll get into it when we talk about the game, but it just looked like Arizona didn't even, they didn't even want to play. It was, you know, was it seven turnovers or whatever it was? It was insane. I, I just think someone did everything he could to make Arizona fire him. Like, I don't think they had a choice after this. No, they, they definitely didn't. And there was absolutely no no reason to hope that it was immediately going to get better. Um, I mean, Arizona, and I'm not trying to denigrate the program right here, it's not a football powerhouse by any stretch of the imagination. It's one of the worst programs in the Pac-12, and this was bad by their standards. Um, Not just records, but if you go look at, like, SRS, um, you know, just a simple rating system for, you know, judging a season— these were the last two seasons for someone. I mean, that first one wasn't great, but the last two are among their worst in the modern era. Uh, he had to go. You could not keep this going. Um, and I think they did the right thing in, in pulling the trigger now. Um, I don't think there is any reason to wait, um, especially because, you know, a lot of people are pointing to, well, we don't want to fire a guy because next year's revenue is still uncertain. But I, I I feel like you always have to be proactive with that, which is next year's revenue is uncertain and it's going to be much more uncertain if we don't have a coach in place who can actually sell some season tickets in the off season. Um, and no one is buying a ticket to see a program that's gone. zero and 12 of the last 12 games. No one. No. And this early signing period, I think really screws things up too. I still hate it. I'm not a big fan. I mean, it's we're recording this on a Tuesday this week. It's tomorrow. The early signing day is on Wednesday. And so the season's not even over yet. And you have the early signing period. It just seems like the timing of it is way off, but it does. I think it doesn't help college coaches because they're likely to get fired earlier rather than later, knowing that signing day, you know, is here. And we've already seen, you know, some decommitments for Arizona's from 2022 guys and things like that. It's just kind of crappy timing uh, for all of this to happen all at once. Yeah, absolutely. And, and you know, the early signing period, I think, you know, we've talked about that a bunch, but in any normal year, timing it in December is kind of stupid. In this year, I, I think everyone would have been better served if they just pushed everything back to just the single February date, because um, it just it, the, the whole schedule is so, so compact now. Um, but yeah, I mean, someone I, I thought it was going to be better than this, but this is a testament also to when you flame out badly at a particular school. Cause I don't think Kevin, someone's like a garbage coach. Like I, I don't, I mean, he, he had some success at Houston and he certainly had some success at Texas A&M, but when you flame out badly in a place um, and get canned and you know, there's some odd feelings about it and the whole thing, don't just go pick up the next job that offers you um, take a year off, go do the ESPN tour um, going into Arizona which is not an easy job um, immediately after that, I think was probably a mistake for him and his career. And we'll see where he lands next. Uh, so 
I can remember our conversations about this because it was just three years ago. I really think Arizona should go and think a little bit outside the box because, again, historically that program just it can't really get over the hump doing things in a conventional way. Um, if I was Arizona, I would look at uh, Ken Niamatololo, um, something where you're getting something unique that teams have to prepare for and that you can get by on a lesser talent level. Because I don't know if Arizona, I don't know if they're ever going to recruit better than ASU, let alone the other programs in the Pac-12. Um, so get around that by giving yourself um, kind of a schematic advantage um, by running something a little bit different from everyone else. And that came up this week uh, on Twitter. I, I'm, I apologize. I don't remember the sports writer that tweeted that, but it was about what did that Khalil Tate, tweet do because that was a potential you know a hiring for Arizona and it seems like when Khalil Tate tweeted he didn't want to see that kind of offense come uh it sort of shut that down yeah and then it turned out that Kevin Sumlin and Noel Mazzoni combined to uh assist Tate um maybe he did part of it himself but assist Tate in ruining any chance of him actually having a successful career in football um so, you know, that's that's unfortunate that Arizona would make a decision based off of that, because I I, I still think about uh, Khalil Tate potentially running a triple option and it makes me giddy thinking about it. So yeah. it's 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 sad to think what could have been, but what could still be, I think, is something that could actually make Arizona a fun and interesting team. Maybe not. I mean. Triple option, maybe it has a, a cap because you will never be able to recruit at like a top 10, top 15 level. But Arizona, that's not really your ambition anyway. Um, there have been a lot of good triple option teams. I mean, Georgia Tech has had some really good years. Um, just do it. Navy's had some really good years with Ken Matalolo. Just hire him. He, he's going to be great. Please do it. Yeah. No, I would agree with you there. Um, it would have been interesting to kind of see how that played out. Uh yeah, I don't know. There's just it's wacky. We're gonna have to get to all the stuff, uh, but we need to recap our uh, the final week of the regular season day of the week six games. So let's do our Pac-12 roundup. Unless you had other stuff you wanted to discuss. No, God, no. Let's get into it. So it was tough to put together the power rankings. I think this week with there's not that many games and just you know, but I, I feel like this is pretty good. I sent it over to Dave. Did you did you look did you not look through it or were you like eh. no I did I, I I found it difficult to do and kind of the same reason you did um like Utah looked really good against Colorado and you'll see where we have them UCLA I don't think looked bad against USC in fact like in major statistical categories they probably should have won that game and you'll see where we have them but it's just Stanford also was surging a little bit um, yeah and looked pretty good in the final weekend. Um, so it's just, it's tough. It's, this was just a tough week to do. It was, I mean, we could argue like Oregon's going to play for the title. We, we could argue where we have them is even too high, you know I mean? Yeah. So it's, um, you know, losing their last two games. It's, it's really not easy, but so, you know, apologies in advance, but here's where we go. There's one team that wasn't easy to rank our number 12 team. Arizona Wildcats. And uh, based on what we've seen this team do the last uh, couple, you know, they've, they've looked better um, for sure. We have them up at number eight. Arizona State Sun Devils. <laughs> so here's what I'll say about this football game, Ryan. Is yes. It was closer than the final score indicated. <laughs> 
<laughs> I could argue the opposite. <laughs> like 70 to 7. But, I mean, if you're looking at from like a yardage production standpoint, like Arizona moved the ball at different points. They just they couldn't hang on to it. You know, it's important in this sport that so in basketball, right, if you turn the ball over, it's not great, but it's just two points the other way. But in football, I'll have you know, if you turn it over, that's potentially like a 14 point swing. Right. Because you could score a touchdown and instead they're going to score a touchdown. So that's a lot of points um, in a sport where you typically typically teams aren't scoring in the 70s like they are in college basketball. They're scoring in the you know, in the 30s. So you have a seven point swing. That's a big deal. Now, Arizona State did score 70, uh, but that was because Arizona, they decided to fumble the ball four four times in this game four, and uh, lost every single one of them. That's pretty bad. And then on top of that. Through three picks. So that's seven turnovers. Seven, seven, you know, that's four fumbles, three interceptions. It's a lot of sevens. There were seven for a while in this game. Yeah, a yeah, lot, of, lot of sevens. Um, boy, uh, I don't know what to say about it, honestly. I thought Arizona State, you know, they've got a couple of really good backs. And Jaden Daniels, I mean, didn't really have to do a whole lot, but he was great. Um, and Arizona was an absolute disaster. And, uh, it was just obvious from watching the game, um, not only that Arizona uh, is horrible, but also that they needed to fire their coach because that team just looked completely aimless, um, just no concentration, just across the board looked like a horribly coached team. Um, so, yeah, damn. And Herm Herm did not call off the dogs. No. Uh, this this was this was a uh, a righteous beating, um, and you know. If Arizona ends up with a good coach, then uh, Arizona fans, you can uh, send some, you know, thank you notes to uh, Herm Edwards. Yeah, this was, I mean, I mean, what are you going to, there's not a whole lot to say uh, in this one, but we've seen this Arizona squad look feisty at times. We know that they were depleted on defense. Um, you know, they're getting Grant Gunnell back in this one. You felt like maybe that would do a spark, but they, I think from the very beginning, I forget what I was doing. I was like, I ran upstairs to like, do something real quick before I was going to come down. Cause this was our Friday game, right? We were supposed to have two. We only ended up getting the one and I forget what I might've been doing. I forget what it was. I was doing something around the house, but I was like, Oh, the, it's kicking at four 30 or whatever time it was. And I was going to like sit down on the couch at like four 35. They usually don't kick off right away. I might, maybe it was four 40, whatever it was t- like 10 minutes after kickoff. And then I see like Arizona fumble the ball uh, to pitch it, you know, just pitch it off um, to, I think it was a Brightwell and fumble it like inside their own 10. And then ASU just punches it in. I'm like, wow, it's seven, nothing already. I'm like, no, wait, it's 14, nothing. Oh, I missed Arizona state returned the opening kickoff for a touchdown. Um, and then when they kicked off to Arizona, there were two penalties on the return. They get, you know, bumped inside, you know, they're, they're, ba- they're back at their own, you know, goal line or whatever, close to that. So 56 sec- seconds into the game, it's 14, nothing. And you're like, okay, so sometimes you start off slow and you're able to like get things going. Uh, but no, that wasn't <laughs> Arizona fumbles, but then the refs overturn. You're like, whoosh, okay, dodge a bullet. Then Gunnell throws a pat, uh, interception on the very next play. And you're like, it just seemed like whatever Arizona State wanted to do, um, they could do. Uh, you know, they missed a field goal even. Like they they could have been 73. They Arizona State missed a field goal. Um, you know, Arizona went for it on fourth and one, which you love on their own 41. They get stuffed. Nothing was going their way. 
Um, Arizona did get a nice drive. They got down that Arizona State two-yard line, fumble, 93-yard touchdown the other way. Like, that's the kind of stuff that was happening early on where you felt like Arizona could still be in the game, right? Like, there was, well, they, this was bad luck, and that was bad luck. And Arizona State would fumble, but they would jump on it. Arizona would fumble, and it would be gone. Or, you know, so it just was like the craziest stuff that was happening. And then once you sort of passed there was like a threshold of, okay, this is out of hand. And maybe even before that, um, it seemed like Arizona had just sort of given up, but I, I felt the beginning they were trying, but there was just bad things going their way. Now they were making mistakes. You can't fumble and throw picks and all that kind of stuff, but it did, it did feel like it could have been an actual game. And then it just sort of like, there was like an avalanche and there was nothing that Arizona and Kevin Sullivan could do to get out of the way of it. Yeah, it was basically that point at which it was, uh, I think it was 21 nothing, and then they fumbled at the two. It was like, at that point, it's over. You're just, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. Um, the best stat about this game, just the fundamentally best stat, and it's not even really a stat, it's just a note. Uh, Arizona didn't punt until the second half. <laughs> dude scored a... 70 points. Uh, dude scored seven points, and they didn't punt until the second half. <laughs> It, I mean, it's not, it was 35 nothing, and there was over 10 minutes left in the first half. Jesus, um, what a brutal beating. Yeah, and one of those – so Arizona – I think it was late in the first half. Arizona turns it over on downs, and ASU is just doing whatever they want. They do that razzle-dazzle reverse thing, throw back to Daniels for the touchdown, and then that got called back for a legal man downfield. Like, they, you know, they left points out there and still scored 70. Like, it's insane how much in control they were uh, of this game. But, yeah, I don't you feel bad. Um, I, I don't think Arizona gave up in the very beginning, but it just sort of like a whole bunch of circumstances early just made it. So it was like, yeah, this, this is not, this is not happening. Yep. But all right. Um, let me see. So we have, uh, so that was our number 12 and number eight teams. We have our number, uh, 11 team, which was California golden bears. <laughs> And our number uh, 10 team, Washington State Cougars. And they get a meow because this was COVID canceled. We didn't get to play that last week. We get to no. play it a lot this week. Yeah. Um, so any thoughts on this one? This was, okay, the crazy thing about this. On the canceled football game? Yeah, the canceled football game that was canceled that morning. They were in Pullman. Cal yeah, I has, guess. The final screening, right? It was uh, somebody got caught who hadn't been caught before. Yeah. So Wilner tweeted uh, on today, Tuesday, that there was one, again, one Cal player tested positive, but contact tracing wiped them out. He had tested negative twice on Friday and tested positive on Saturday. He, I think Wilner was insinuating this could have potentially been another false uh, positive. Um because he tested twice Friday and then somehow got it between Friday and Saturday. Uh, or who knows? I mean, obviously he could have had it in a system and he didn't know, but yeah. So I don't know any, it, Willner talked about like, he's known that there's been some false, um, you know, uh, false positives. It, he didn't say it in his tweets, but he kind of insinuated that that was, that could have been the case. Too. Yeah. You know, wiped out the whole game. I don't know. That seems, I don't know. Uh, Wilner's Wilner's stuff on this uh, has left me a little cold. Um, oh yeah, he's he's more on my side than your side. I like. No, that. it's uh, he's. Uh, 
I, I think his he's got specific beef with Berkeley's public health and just generally the way they're approaching it. And I think his um, I think he's got some, you know, maybe some insider beef. I don't know with the way Cal's handling it. But uh, no, that's just this is basic. Like they obviously if contact tracing dictates that that guy was in contact with other people, then they have to cancel the game because. Yeah, the way the virus works is it cannot show up on the Friday and then it shows up on the Saturday because yeah. there's not enough virus in your system yet. Um, so he and knows that because he's written thing. that several times. So, yeah. you know, it's just I, I think I think a lot of people and, you know, me included, but I think a lot of people start with the conclusion they want and then work backward for the reasoning. Um, either, none of us are scientists. None of us are epidemiologists. I think with stuff like I've read so much amateur like well, the viral load at this point shouldn't have been enough to trigger this test, so that game shouldn't have been canceled from sports writers, and I'm just, I'm totally sick of it. It's just nonsense. Like, I, I don't know, and I'm not talking about that, but if they're saying that this guy tested positive and that's good enough to cancel the game that they wanted to have, I mean, they flew up there, yeah. then okay, I, I guess I guess it needed to be canceled. Yeah, it's weird because it can't be a Berkeley thing because they weren't in Berkeley. They were in Pullman. Yeah, you know? I don't know so. if Cal has – I just don't know if Cal has gotten any directives from, you know, whatever, their public health department. That's the only thing I was thinking there. But I just know uh, Wilner was banging that drum with Cal earlier this year when they had to cancel stuff for a single positive test that I think turned out to be a false positive. Yeah, I don't remember. A it defensive been, lineman. But... They haven't really talked about that too much, but or they they aren't disclosing those things. So, but yeah, Wilner was reporting a little bit of that. But anyway, all right. So that was canceled day of. So we thought we were going to get that one, um, which it was significant because it was the second cancel. And then if there was a third cancel, then the, you, the divisions would have gone away. So we were right. getting into this weird zone at that point. Uh, but those were there was only two. We'll get to the other ones. Yeah. But okay, next we have our number nine team, Oregon State Beavers. <laughs> And they were nice enough to host this team because they weren't allowed to play in their home turf. Stanford Cardinal. And they were number five in the ranking, in our power rankings. The great Stanford road trip continues. Uh, Stanford pulled off the win over Oregon State 27-24. This game was going on while I was writing about the USC-UCLA game, as I'm sure you were. So uh, I watched the tail end. Um, I... I'm kind of shocked Oregon State was able to put it together to the extent they did. I mean, really balanced attack, ran the ball pretty well. Chance Nolan, hey, hey, buddy, threw the ball okay. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't really have too many takeaways other than um, Stanford is surging here at the end of the season a little bit. And Davis Mills, I think, has played two really good games in a row. He has. I think uh, Stanford, I mean— they're they're undefeated on their their crazy road trip, right? I mean, this was <laughs> you got teams like Washington that only you know were playing all at home or whatever, and uh, this is a, a team you know Stanford that had to you know go on the road and be you know road warriors throughout this whole thing. But I, same thing, I was driving back, I caught the end, and I I just catch uh, Chance Nolan. Uh, he ran it into field goal range for uh, Oregon State. They you know lose by three. Could have tied it, but he ends up fumbling, and that was the only turnover of the game. But if you look overall, I mean, Oregon State had 237 yards rushing. They did a good job there. Like you said, Nolan threw the ball pretty well. Uh, they outgained Stanford overall. 
David Mills or Davis Mills had a couple of rushing touchdowns in this one. So that's a little uh, different. I think one day it was like a passing through down, but the guy gets tackled at the one and he ran it in. Um, but this Stanford's had one home game, you know, and they've won their last three. So, you know, kudos. They seem really fired up to whatever, leave Santa Clara County and, uh, you know, still want to play football. And I think that might, maybe that inspired them in some way. I mean, it, it's the fact that they were able to do that and be nomads and play as well as they did. Um, so here's a pattern. So five game stretch for Oregon state in the two Oregon state wins. The Beavers had five takeaways and the three losses. They didn't have any, they didn't have any in this one either. Um, so it was kind of been about turnovers for the, for the Beavers. Um, and they've also played five consecutive games that are decided by six or fewer points dating back to, uh, 1893. That's never happened. That's the first football season. Like they were in all of these close games. So what we thought about Jonathan, Jonathan Smith, uh, improving this team. Um, I, I think he has, I think they're, they're giving it, you know, it's kind of like the Herm Edwards thing. They're, they're keeping it close. Um, you know, we've, we've seen him win a couple games. Uh, but I, I, there's a few more that they could have. I mean, this team could have been four and one or something and, and kudos to, uh, to Oregon state for not having their schedule altered at all. Right. I mean, the only thing was they had a, they got an extra home game, uh, that they weren't expecting as opposed to uh, a road game, but they got to play all of their games. Um, and you know, this one was, a they, they pushed on the, but they end up being four, one and one against the spread this year and uh pretty pretty uh pretty nice run for the beeves yeah absolutely and uh definitely should be better than two and four this year yeah i think they should and that we both well so this was a push for the arizona i forgot to mention the arizona arizona state game if you remember this was the first game we were picking because it was friday you took arizona state and i was like feeling a little lucky i'm like "Eh, i got a big lead you want me to just pick opposite you and you said sure so i took arizona this (laughs) And then Dave calls me out on Twitter, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> yes, but, because you got it wrong, correct? I, yes. I so just, the the facts, the facts, the facts being what they are, you got that pick wrong, and I got it correct, and so I just let the people know. You did, yes. Uh, we both. Now you up, you want to make whatever excuses you want about that, like oh I was just doing a nice thing, oh I don't care about this competition. Uh, fine, that's fine. I care about the competition. I was just trying to give you a gift, you know, yeah, trying yeah, to make no, it closer. I get it. I get it. I get Unfortunately, it. it didn't work because we both ended up one, two, and Gosh, one this week. What so a brutal week! It was, it was a bad. It was a bad. Yeah, we're uh, you, that drops you below uh, 500. By the way, I'm. Uh, where am I? I'm 16, 11, and one, and you're 13, 14, uh, and one. And this was the one, and this even made uh, Stuart Scott's, you know bad beat segment uh this we have our number seven team ucla bruins and they're taking on uh, they're hosting our number one team usc trojans yeah let me pull this up real quick because i want to pull up the advanced box scores so there's collegefootballdata.com they do advanced box scores like what uh, bill Connolly used to have available and i want to show this because i think it's instructive um so UCLA lost 38-43 to 43 to USC. Uh, the post-game winning percentage for UCLA in this game, like based off of the key stats of the game, uh, what percentage do you think, just looking at the numbers, would have given UCLA to win this football game? Um, I'd probably go like 75% or something. 
95 percent. <laughs> 95 times out of 100, UCLA wins this football game. They didn't. They didn't. They didn't real big. They didn't. <laughs> got got really bad there at the end. They didn't even cover. No, no, it got it got real ugly there at the end. Um, so UCLA uh, had a great offensive game plan set in. Um, I think they took it to this USC defense in a way that hadn't really happened that much this year. Um, ran the ball well. Dorian Thompson Robinson, aside from two brutal picks, um, had his best game probably as a Bruin. Um, and uh, USC, you know, for much of the first half, especially just had trouble getting going offensively. I thought Keaton Slovis looked a little slow and just not quite himself and uh, wasn't throwing the ball particularly well. And then the second half, it just, it, the deluge started um, USC. I think maybe they finally realized that, Oh wait, we have, we have like nothing but five stars at wide receiver. Let's just, let's just throw it to them. Let's see what happens. Um, and then when UCLA drops seven or eight guys, let's just let's give it to one of our like many uh, top tier backs who were like previously number one in the West. And let's just see what happens there, too. Um, and I think the talent started to show for USC and the I, I think the extraordinary talent advantage they have um, over UCLA between the wide receivers and the DBs um, really started to wear on UCLA. And then so it was very kind of got very close and back and forth uh, towards the end with UCLA just kind of trying, kind of trying to hang on. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, uh, UCLA was driving the ball with about four minutes to go um, and had a fourth and one at the 37 for USC. Um, and they went kind of hurry up to, um, well, not actually, they, did, they started to go hurry up and then they waited, but they ran the ball with their redshirt freshman back, Keegan Jones, instead of Demetric Felton or Britton Brown. And he, you know, as you might expect, ran directly into the ass of his offensive tackle instead of through the big hole in the middle of the uh, offensive line, which, you know, is his fault in a certain way. But also, why are you putting your redshirt freshman running back in that position when you've got two guys who are just, you know, making mincemeat of this defense most of the game? Uh, So that was a mistake. Then they mismanaged the clock horribly on what, potentially could have been a game-winning field goal drive and then mismanaged it again when Tyler Vaughn's caught uh, the absolute dagger down at the UCLA 9, basically preventing any chance of doing a conventional drive on the ensuing attempt to win the game. So, brutal finish for UCLA. Um, You know, it's close on the counts in horseshoes and hand grenades, and uh, they got close, but no cigar. Yeah, this was so. This was a two and a half point spread. The USC was favored. We both. Uh, I took SC because I said, you know, close spreads. I'll take USC. Big ones. I'll, I'll lay the. I'll uh, take the points. And Dave took UCLA. Stuart Scott had this as their one of their bad beats. Um, this was right after Monday Who night. Who had football. it as one of their bad beats? It's, no, I'm sorry, not Stuart Scott. Oh my God. Uh, what's his name? What the, the guy? Stuart uh, Mandel. No, he's he's the uh, late night Sports Center guy. Scott Mandel. Uh, Scott Van Pelt. God, Stuart Scott Van Pelt. Okay. I had one of the names, right? Yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm getting old. I'm going to be uh, 50 in a week. So holy uh, shit. Yes. So see the brain is going bye-bye. Um, yeah. Scott Van Pelt, not <laughs> hot man. So got it. Scott Van Pelt does the bad beat segment, which are pretty funny. I like those. Sometimes they're weird and like, this is the first half over and you're like, okay, that's sort of a stretch. 
but the Monday night football, like had a bad beat. It was like a three point spread and they do the crazy lateral, lateral, lateral ends up being a safety. So Baltimore wins by five, but this one, he said for 59 and a half minutes, like UCLA was never not covering the spread for 59 and a half minutes. And then at the very end, when USC could kick a field goal and take the lead or you know, run the clock down more, but UCLA had timeouts, whatever, and then take the lead, they still wouldn't have been. The only way that USC covers is if, and this is what happened, Keaton Slovis said in the post-game Zoom, coach called for a run. He saw that UCLA was in man-to-man defense. He knew that that Amon Rice St. Brown would be, their five-star guy would be one, one of them, would be one-on-one, throws him a fade, catches it, touchdown, and they cover the spread. So that's like the baddest of bad beats. I would have been 0-3-1 this week, but that saved me. So um, I'm sure you were very happy when that play happened, Dave. Yeah, it was great. It was great. <laughs> it really uh, it made my made my evening. Um, the the most incredible part of this is that Chip Kelly so hilariously mismanaged the like final moments of this game that it really clouded how badly Clay Helton managed this football game too. Like, what are they doing? Even allowing Keaton Slovis to check into something right there. You run the ball like three times right there, kill all the timeouts, and then just kick the chip shot. Like that's 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 the way you win the game without even having to worry about what UCLA is going to do on a hail mary. Anyway, also he used like three timeouts throughout the game on like either weird like oh man personnel bullshit or he the defense didn't get set. How many times did UCLA take advantage of USC just not knowing what the call was defensively? There, I love the way UCLA used tempo early in the game and that uh, that touchdown down the left sideline. Um, I forget who it was too, but the little, it was kind of like a little dump off and he just runs, uh, it might've been Felton that did that, but I forget who it was, but you know, and it was like, had a successful play, ran tempo and USC had two defenders on the, on the, that side, the right side for the defense and the left side for the offense. And there was three receivers there and it was just like a little tunnel screen and there was only two guys. And so each one of them got blocked and then he runs it in for a touchdown Second half, it wasn't as much of that. Um, they seemed to be, it seemed to, the tempo seemed to screw up UCLA more in the second half than it, it really worked well in the first. I don't know if you noticed that, but in the second half, it seemed to like screw, and I don't know if it's just because USC was be- defending it better, but it seemed to like mess things up a little bit. I um, think um, USC started committing more to the box and that just made it tougher to deal with. Um, I, I think it was just tougher for UCLA to run the ball and a lot of their tempo is based on the run. Um, so that was a big part of it. And also UCLA has done this kind of stupid thing where they tempo up to go on fourth and one basically all the time. And, but the thing is when they go on fourth and one, they literally only ever run up the middle. Um, yeah. So if you've got that scouted out, then you've got the game. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this this game, I think it really was a showcase for USC's talent because I think they not only overcame what was a better coached UCLA team for, I don't know, 56 minutes, but they also overcame their own coaching. Um, yeah. <laughs> and I think that that speaks to, I think, the the sheer amount of talent that USC has is, you know, even in a game like this. And I think people people maybe poo poo the talent too much because I think they're. It's the same way like UCLA when it had horribly coached teams under Rick Neuheisel where they'd be like, oh, UCLA is untalented. And like, no, they've just got a bunch of dudes who have no idea what they're doing because they haven't been coached in like four years. It's the same thing with USC. I mean, 
yeah, you've got these all-world dudes like Talanoa Hufunga, but even throughout that defense, just these guys who sometimes look undisciplined or not good, they're superstar athletes, like so many of them. And offensively, it's the same deal. So I don't know. I think that's that's the thing that kind of stood out to me, just like walking away from the game, is that UCLA probably had better schemes, probably had a better game plan, probably had all that stuff figured out. But if you... If you're going to be that team, if you're going to be the team that is the smarter one or the more schematically sound or the better game planned or whatever, you better be perfect. Like you better be perfect on those decision make those decisions that you make, because if you're not, this is what happens. Um, yeah. talent, this, talent, talent will win if you make mistakes, if you're going to do the out executing bullshit. USC definitely relied on the talent on this one. But, you know, this is the so USC's played five games the third time that they've come back in the last minute of a game to win. Um, and UCLA had outscored opponents 20 to three in the fourth quarter. Uh, I mean, I'm sorry, UCLA had outscored opponents in the fourth quarter. USC in this game outscored UCLA 20 to three. So they sort of beat them at their own game. Um, DTR though, I thought was really efficient. I think he outplayed Keaton Slovis. I mean, 30 of 36 or whatever it was. That's pretty impressive. The one pick was like an amazing play by Isaiah Polamau tipping it to himself and stuff. The other one kind of telegraphed and Hufunga stepped in front of it. Um, could have been returned for a touchdown. But to me, and those fourth and one things, when you do tempo, I, I, that bugs me for any team, Dave. But, to, you know, going for it on fourth and one, I think the analytics tell you you should punt more. Like if, if you silly no, just punted more, will, they win this I game. I will kill you. I will actually kill you. <laughs> Uh, no, what you need to do on fourth and one, and no, no coach does this enough, is you quarterback sneak. Quarterback sneak is like the it's it's not automatic, but you convert that at an insane clip. It's the best play in football when you need a yard. I don't know why coaches don't do it more. Quarterbacks almost never get hurt on that play either because it's not like a full speed run. You're not like out in the open. You're not going to have a non contact injury. You're going to lean over. And push forward, and your running back's going to push you in the butt, and then you're going to get a yard. That That's how it works. Um, and they just don't do it enough. Uh, everyone should be quarterback sneaking on fourth and one. I, I mean, I really, if UCLA punts more in this game, they win. Punting I, is winning. I will, I, I, I will actually kill you. And <laughs> Did you it won't like be my pretty. tweet? Like so, <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's, it's beautiful. Um, so, uh, I will a few more notes. Tyler Vaughn's um, look, Drake London's got a lot of talent. Amon Ross St. Brown's got a lot of talent. Tyler Vaughn's just something about him. He's he can step up in huge moments and just he's got those just Velcro hands when he wants to. Um, and I thought he was absolutely huge in the comeback for UCLA. Greg Dulcich, uh, walk on tight end. He's going to play in the NFL. Um, he's 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 pretty good, um, and he was running past that USC secondary at different points. So I will note, um, not, because I don't want to toot my own horn about this because I think it's incorrect, Luke Akers on that uh, weird oh, punt you, thing. you nailed it. I nailed it for a different reason. I think that was a called fake. You think it but was? The, okay. But the thing is, well, Chip Kelly said it was, whether he's lying or not to protect his guy, who knows. But um, – He's so slow on his getoff that USC is going to play him for a punt block basically every time he comes out there. So you can't fake it with him. It's a, it's a stupid idea because they're going to be bringing numbers at him every time. Until he gets quicker on his getoff, you cannot call fakes for the punter who's slow. That doesn't work. 
And so naturally, uh, it got completely blown up. But yeah, there's there's some speculation that that was that was a called fake, and Chip Kelly pseudo confirmed it. Just so people know, like uh, Dave came on my USC podcast to preview the game, and had said like there could be a punt block in this game because he's a good good freshman punter, but he gets it off slow. And then um, you know, Shotgun Spratling in our instant analysis after the game gave you kudos, Dave. He's like. David Woods called it. He said that, you know, but we didn't, we weren't sure at the time if it was a fake or not. It kind of looked like one, but you weren't really sure. Yeah. 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 All right. Um, let's go on. Uh, no, I want to. Oh, you don't want to keep talking about this game? Oh, we could, but I mean, I think that they're sick of it already since we've, we've over talked about it probably, but, um, we, I mean, this is the teams we cover, so we're going to know it the best. Uh, okay, so I, we got to talk about these rankings, too, because these two teams just played each other. We had Utah Utes at number six, and we have Colorado Buffalo. Still at number three. Any issues with that, David? Yeah, probably. <laughs> um, but whatever. Don't worry about it. I mean, it's like four and one versus, you know, it's like. We're just you know. in this for fun, for just the love of the game. All right. Yeah. Who cares? Um, yeah. So Utah, uh, this was kind of a, a steady pounding, I would say, from Utah because it was, uh, it finished 38 21. It was 14 to 10 Colorado at halftime. Um, and uh, sure, Colorado had gotten some of that on a punt return touchdown, but I thought it was a pretty even game at halftime. Um, but really, what the second half was a lot of Ty Jordan, and he's going to be a real problem uh, for teams to deal with. Um, I thought for that first half, I thought Colorado looked really good. Um, I was talking about him as, you know, this is clearly a very well-coached team. Um, and, you know, it sucked for them. Obviously, Sam Neuer went down. Um, but uh, I think futures, I think, pretty bright for Colorado if they can get a bunch of these guys to stay because, you know, for a good stretch of this game, um, you know, before I think William Sherman also went down their starting left tackle uh, before all of that happened, I thought they were playing Utah pretty evenly and Utah, Utah looks a little bit more like the Utah we've known and loved for many years now. Um, so I thought, you know, that, that looked pretty good. And I think um, if they can get some of these guys who are like pseudo seniors to stay next year, I think that'll be pretty good for Colorado. Um, but Utah, you know, Ty Jordan, I thought, um, looked like a stud. Uh, Jake Bentley, I thought, played his probably best game um, at Utah so far. Um, and between the two of them, uh, that was more than enough after uh, Colorado really had the wind taken out of their offensive sails in the second half. And then on top of that, Nate Landman went down. Uh, yeah. just Colorado lost three of its, I don't know, four most important guys in this game. That's, that's not easy. It's not. And this is one of those things where you know, Ty Jordan is special. I think they've had two running backs go to the transfer portal since this game. Um, I, Jordan Wilmore, I believe did. And then one of the other guys, I forget. There should be a name for that. Maybe we just call it you Ty Jordan, those guys, <laughs> like when you're so good as like a freshman, that it makes all these other highly touted guys just immediately transfer after you play a great game. The, uh, that happened at USC with uh, Ricky Town. Like he was there as an early enrollee quarterback, like was a former five star. Right. Sa- Sam Darnold didn't get there until the, the the summer, and so Ricky Town had the whole spring and the off season. And Sam, you know, Sam Darnold comes in the summer, and Town like within a couple of weeks transferred out. So it was like he'd been around longer, but he's like, "Yep, I'm out of here." So yeah, you can. 
it's interesting when that happens, but this happened from a game and Utah was controlling this early. They were winning the field position battle and then they just, they were failing. It was kind of Stanford. Like they were failing to take advantage, you know, when they would get a uh, great field position, they were starting at like their own, you know, like 45 yard line all the time and stuff. It just, and it just never, you know, it's they even both teams would have a good drive and then, you know, end with a turnover. But I feel like that Nate Landman, um, non-contact injury, he just looked like he was in a ton of pain. Um, it seemed to take the wind out of Colorado sales a little bit. Um, but you know, it was, I believe it was seven, seven and Utah special teams have been really good. They were good in this game. They were pinning Colorado back quite a bit. Give up that punt return for a touchdown. R- and Brandon Rice is really fast. Yeah. Oh, like, super fast. He's he faster flying. than his dad. I think, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think he has to be faster than his dad. His dad wasn't known for speed, but for, so it's 14, seven and you're like, Colorado shouldn't be ahead right now. Did you, did you, you, you get that feeling? Like it didn't seem like that was, it seemed like Utah was outplaying them, but then some weird things happened. So there was a cheap field goal at the end of the half. Uh, Colorado fumbled with like 10 seconds left. Like they should have taken a knee. They didn't. Utah gets the ball and then they get a field goal and they make it 14, 10. And you're like, uh Oh, this could get bad for Colorado, but the buffs to their credit, they start the third quarter with a touchdown but then after that, it was just crap. Like Utah went right back. Colorado, and then you'll love this because I gave you crap about the punting. Colorado had it on fourth and one. I think it was near midfield. And they punted. And you're just like, what the hell? I was, I was my, you know, channeling my inner David Woods. I'm like, that is going to cost you. And it did. And I don't think they scored for the rest of the game. Utah just boat raced them from that point on. So I felt like a couple of things happened. They, they could have overcome some of the injuries. They could have, but that fourth and one, when they didn't go for it in the second half, when Utah looked like they were, you know, on the move and they were going to be scoring points, Colorado, I don't think ever recovered from that one either. No, no. Yeah, it was, um, it was disappointing um, for Colorado, obviously. And, uh, but I think uh, you, you got to like take a step back and say, you know, if you're a Colorado guy, uh, we went four and one in a year where, credible luminaries in the national media, the mainstream media picked us to go winless. Yeah. Um, I got this game, right? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, we went four and one, so we've got to feel pretty good. Um, a lot of guys emerged this year who I don't think they were expecting to be, you know, studly. And I think Sam Neuer was one of them, but also Jarek Broussard. And it's a, you know, it's a it's a mulligan year where you can get all these guys eligible again next year if uh, if they're all willing to come back. So there's a lot of reason to think that Colorado, with that line play on both sides, you know, that defensive line, their offensive line, uh, there'll be a problem and a real factor in the South next year. Uh, I think they need to get back everyone healthy. But Sam Neuer, two years removed from the safety room, what's he going to bring to the table? Who knows? Um, so. I'm I'm excited about Colorado's future. I think it'll be fun, and uh, you know, obviously, it's it's nice to see Carl Durrell have a little bit of a little bit of success. Thirteen years after he uh, he hung up his boots at uh, at UCLA. Yeah, and this is I mean, four and one is a great accomplishment. But you have guys that, um, if it is a Nate Landman, hopefully he's okay, or like a Katie Nixon, or um, you know, a Mustafa Johnson, or Terrence Lang, like. Are those guys 
can they, do they want to come back and be part of this, you know, or do they want to test the NFL waters? Like, I mean, I think this is one of those things, like the analogy I was using, you're a basketball dude, like that, the team from, you know, like the Creighton team from the NCAA tournament that has like a senior, you know, 50 year senior point guard. And they're like a whole bunch of guys that have been there for four years and they just make this crazy run. Like this kind of mulligan year, like you're saying about eligibility, you might see teams like Colorado or Oregon state keep some of their guys that would have moved on as seniors and they stick around for another year of college. I mean, do you think that's a possibility? Because if that happens for Colorado, they could be pretty darn good next year. I think it's a real possibility. I think there's some teams, I think there's some realities that, like, I don't think USC is going to make, you know, a, a team like that. Um, I don't think they're going to make too many attempts to, like, get guys to retain because so much of that program is built around the churn of getting new five stars in there. Um, and, you know, I, I think the same is true for programs that, all of them that recruited a super high level. I don't think they have any incentive to keep guys for another year because they want to keep their pipelines going. They want to keep all that stuff moving. But for a school at Colorado, you know, it now, this all has the picture of, a, of um, one of those uh, cresting years, right? Because certain programs, you know, there's the lull and then the crest based off of the recruiting cycles. You know, you'll have a very freshman laden team and then you've got some, you know, juniors and seniors in a couple of years and that's when you're good well this looks like it's that's when you're good period uh for colorado if they can continue that for another year i mean i don't look at any of the guys on colorado's roster right now besides you know maybe brendan rice and he's not old enough uh who are like can't miss nfl prospects um not even nate landman and and i mean hopefully his his you know body's okay but um that's not like a team full of five-star talent it's a team full of experienced guys and uh if those experienced guys you know getting william sherman back um will be key getting sam neuer back will be key but those guys and i mean jarek broussard i don't think he's eligible to go either i don't think he's a redshirt freshman um i i I think they're going to have most of these guys uh if they want them back and i think they should want them um because they they put together a really nice year yeah no i Really happy with what the Buffs were able to do. Um, just impressed with uh, what um, Carl Durrell came in and, and kept the the kind of core leadership, some of the the key coaches, strength coaches, things like that, kept them together, and uh, was really impressive. Um, you know what they've been able to do. Did obviously I didn't think that was going to happen, um, and they did. So nice job there. Uh, all right. So that was. We had, you know, Utah's, you know, Utah was two and two. So we still didn't bump them up. We bumped them up. They look like a better team now. And if some of the COVID issues, I think they would have been a better team this year, but just kind of an unfortunate uh, situation. We had number five Stanford. We already talked about uh, this. We have our number uh, four team. Oregon Ducks. And this is going to be a good one, Dave. Can't wait. You know, the, the taking on the number two team. Washington Huskies. <laughs> but. COVID canceled. Wow. We lost is a there a one. name for this game? I don't know. I'm not sure. I don't think there's a name. Anybody got a name for this one? Can you throw yeah. it to us? We don't know about your weird stuff that goes on in the Pacific Northwest. All you crunchy hippies. Let us know what uh what this <laughs> one's about. <laughs> but it doesn't matter because it didn't get played this year and it won't get played this year. But we want to know. We so want to know. Um, yeah. This one was canceled a little bit um, earlier, so we we kind of knew about this one. The other one, the uh, the Washington State Cal one. I mean, I'm so, yeah, the um, 
Right. Yeah. Washington State Cal one is the one that we got like the last minute uh, on. So, um, okay. So then number three, we already talked about Colorado. And number one, we already talked about USC. So that's our power rankings. And that's the uh, the week six um, recap. Let us know. It's, it usually does well when I tweet out the power rankings, Dave. People seem to like that in the debate, like who's, you know. So if I when I tweet this one out, the Utah people are like, we just beat Colorado. It's like, yeah, but you lost two games, and Colorado's four and one. So, what? I mean, how far do you want me to drop Colorado, you know? Yeah, I get you. I get you. I'm not sure what to do. All right, well, let's, uh, before we're going to, before we're going to, before we're going to uh, preview what's left of the week seven slate that's already been butchered, I want to tell everyone about my bookie. It's the most wonderful time of the year. I put up my Christmas lights. Such a happy time. Can't end soon enough. We all deserve a win, and we all deserve a little extra money in our pocket, and we all deserve to have a little fun, right? We want some fun. The only place you're guaranteed to get all those, all three of those is my bookie. They're the only sports book that doesn't care whether you were naughty or nice this year. They've got gifts for everyone. Bet the NFL, bet the NBA, all of your favorite college sports teams, especially here in the Pac-12 and more. Sign up today and receive the ultimate stocking stuffer, a 50% deposit bonus of up to a thousand bucks. It's a great place to start, but we all know that Christmas is about what's under the tree. And at my bookie, that means huge deposit bonuses, epic giveaways, and free contests. It's simple. Sign up, use promo code PAC12, and get your deposit matched halfway up to a thousand bucks. Head over to my bookie to make the most of the holidays this year and strut into 2021. We all need 2021 with cash in your pocket. This winter, bet with the best, bet with my bookie. So, hope you guys go check it out. And, Dave. We got to talk about week seven, I guess. Championship. What, what are you calling this? Championship weekend? What are we doing here? The USC got screwed week. Isn't so that, isn't that we the narrative? There? Isn't that the narrative we're putting out there? Okay. So Dave was like, you know, uh, trolling me a little bit. And although I wouldn't, I wouldn't say I was just trolling you, I was certainly trolling you, but it was not just you. There is a chorus of um, what I would call West Coast based media. Yes. who just jump on any opportunity to just throw a elaborate pity party for USC. And they do it all the time. And it's the same ones who are like, oh, they got screwed with the sanctions. Uh, and then it's this. Oh, we got screwed with the schedule. This is everyone is in the same boat. Everyone has had a weird and odd year. It's not the Pac-12's fault that your preparation for this game was delayed 12 hours. Come on, just grow up. It's so, no big deal. So it's people, not. If people don't it's know, n- it's no big deal. It's none whatsoever. The, the facts what we have learned it. this year, Ryan, <laughs> is that you need about a day of preparation for a football game. Four days, that's a luxury. Who cares? This is a big who care. To be fair, like the USC coaches we talked to, they didn't seem to care that much. Uh, Graham Harrell was talking about, well, you kind of go with a more generic game plan. You can't really, you don't want to like change it on the fly. And then if you're not repping it in practice, but he's like, we kind of do what we do anyway. Todd Orlando this morning, the defensive coordinator was like, yeah, you know, he said he lost like 12 hours over the weekend, but it's not that big of a deal. And, and you know, Clayton said it doesn't really matter. So I don't think the the coaches and players have were complaining, but like, yeah, definitely what, you know, John Canzano, John Wilner, Kyle Bonagora, Myself, other people were saying this isn't right. And I feel like, so just so people know, and I thought originally, I'm like, that's an interesting idea. The championship game was going to be USC and Washington. 
and they were going to play in L.A. But the two backups would be the second-place teams, Colorado and Oregon. They were going to play each other in L.A., which, okay, I thought that was kind of interesting at first, like for maybe about a second, and then I'm like, that just seems like a bad idea. Um, but it, the initial thought, I was like, oh, that's kind of outside-the-box thinking, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. And the I think the issue is, David, that this is the only conference that was going to do anything like this um, and other conferences would do what they could to protect somewhat their top teams. I mean, you saw the ACC. They don't want to screw anything protect, up. So they, protect USC for what here? Like for what? Well, that's your only team that's ranked in the college football what playoffs. They, they're ranked 15th. What are they going to do? Well, they could be are ranked they gonna, higher than Are they going to filibuster outside of the college football playoff offices? They're not getting in. I don't it think they're getting matter. in, but just sort of like you don't want to put your marquee team in a bad position. The in Notre a bad Dame position and, to play a football game against another conference opponent? Notre Dame. Against maybe the most talented other team in the league? That's a bad spot to be in? Notre Dame and Clemson, they they shut them down just so they could play the championship game together. They wouldn't do this to an Alabama. They wouldn't, I'm sorry. I'm they, sorry. Are we they ducking, the, rules for are we ducking the Oregon Ducks who lost to Cal here? I'm Is not that what we're anyone. doing? I'm just saying you don't want to get the, you, the Pac-12 has been in a habit of screwing over teams. And a lot of times they're good teams. It's, was it Washington that has to, you know, always face Oregon when they're on a bye week or the, the, you know, Friday night, you know, back-to-back road trip things like all that stuff where you would just make it. So there wasn't going to be really hard to have an undefeated team. It seemed like parody was more important. Now you have a chance for an undefeated team and you're putting roadblocks in the way. They're going to play three times in 13 days. Roadblocks. Well, a game. A game, a game against the conference opponent. They would have had to play a game against Washington anyway if if Washington had been able to actually play. Like, it's just, it's a football game. The, the goal is to play football, right? Like, that's the whole thing with this right. season. The goal is to play football games. Like, weren't you saying a little bit ago, you play whoever, whenever, like that whole thing? Well, right. this is a football game. Oregon is available to play it. They're pretty good. Let's see how it goes. Why are like, well, let's take a step back for a second. And just like, so no one, none of the other conferences would have a backup for each division. And a lot of times people got rid of the divisions, the big 12, hold on on a second. I just want to ask you like, this isn't complaining. The big 12 was going to do a third, like the third team would be like the substitute for either side which is kind of interesting, but they're the only other conferences doing anything like this. The Pac-12 is the only one that would have a backup for each team. Do you feel like if the if one division can't, you could still have a game. You could still have USC play Oregon, but say USC is the, the champion. Because um, even if Oregon wins, are you going to like, are you feel like a Pac-12 champion when you didn't win your division? I, I don't know. Like, where do you stand on that? Okay, so USC is undefeated, right? They're 5-0. and yeah. uh, The teams they have played, are ASU, Arizona, Utah, Washington State, and UCLA. Where are those teams in our current Pac-12 power rankings? All down the bottom. Well, yeah. uh, six and seven, six, seven, eight, ten, and twelve. I understand that people want to make the claim that USC showed it on the field and proved it on the field, and I don't even want to dispute that necessarily. But it's a little thin. It's a little bit thin when your schedule is necessarily unbalanced by the way we're playing the season. Anything goes at this point. Oregon may be a better team than USC despite being three and two. Sure. And just because USC w- would would prefer it if 
they finished the year undefeated and would prefer it if everyone acknowledged them as the true best team in the league. There is actually no way of definitively showing that this year. Not that there ever truly is because, you know, matchups matter, but there's no way of knowing that this year. They played a very weak schedule even for the Pac-12. So I I don't know. I'm I'm failing to see a really, really strong argument for just allowing USC to, I don't know, finish the year 5-0. and what, what are we asking for here? To not play a game or just be declared no, the winner? No, I would say, I think you still got to play a game. But I would say that, and, and I think Wilner had the idea of like, okay, if USC wins, they're the champ. If they lose, it's like co-champs or something, which seems a little weird. Or you just say, okay, because no one could, they, the representative couldn't play in the championship. USC wins the Pac-12 by default, but they'll still play Oregon. Uh, I don't know. I mean, or Colorado, you know, like move them in there. Like in the, in the big 12, it would have been Colorado and not Oregon. Yeah. I mean, I, for, for me, I would probably prefer a Colorado USC game um, just because it would definitively show who even won the South, let alone who won the, you know, won the conference because they didn't play each other. Um, But whatever. I mean, I understand why they might want to keep it a North South matchup. And frankly, this is probably the best TV matchup they can come up with, which I think is a factor too. Um, you know, they want to get eyeballs on this game. Um, and Oregon and USC are the most talented teams in the league. So I, I think it makes sense from a lot of different standpoints. I just, I don't think there's any value for the PAC 12 in just allowing USC to finish the year undefeated by not playing a game first no, and then second. Yeah. And then second, um, I, I don't think you can just arbitrarily declare them the winner after only playing five games. I just don't. Um, the one game that would have been decisive and even declaring them the South winner, uh, they had to skip, you know, yeah. the Colorado game. Because Colorado, if they won, if they played USC tomorrow and they won, they would win the South and they'd be in the Pac-12 title game. So, I mean, obviously the year is what it is. I'm not even disputing that USC is the South winner, but, but Colorado has major beef heading into this weekend. Uh, I think Colorado has the most. They, they missed the USC game, and now they're not even getting a game this weekend. Um, but for USC, I just, I, I don't. If it would be one thing, I would even concede it from like a real politics standpoint. It'd be one thing if USC was ranked eighth or seventh or something like that, where it's like, wow, this kind of does screw them a little bit. But even then, I don't think it does because it gives them a chance for another win and for a true conference championship like title that might bump them up Um, as it is. I I just, I don't see any reason not to do it. And um, you know, if they wanted to uh, have it be a disputed conference championship, I don't care. USC has been claiming disputed championships for, you know, 120 years. It's fine. (laughs) Colorado did. I think like, as far as getting screwed, I don't think USC's gotten screwed. I feel like it's just a bad management. It's just, poorly handled by the Pac-12 because once the Washington reporters came out and were tweeting about what Jimmy Lake was saying, the fact that that they had no offensive line, the fact that the entire team was in quarantine, to me, this is when I don't think, you know, Greg Sankey or, you know, any, like a, a great commissioner would go in and just look at it and like, wait, so Washington, you canceled your game in the middle of last week. What's going on? Okay, this is what's happening. All right, you're out. Like, not scheduling it to think like, well, what if, you know, it's, it just seemed like it was going to be an impossibility. So this is where a thing where, and, and I, maybe if Colorado won, that would have been a great opportunity for Larry Scott to go, okay, Washington's the winner in the North. 
we know that you're not going to be able to play. We're scheduling USC Colorado. And I think that would have been fair. You know, we're going to do this because the representative of the North can't play. We know you can't play. And if Larry Scott was a great leader, he would have come in and, and fixed this. Not like it's Monday morning and we're like, well, Washington just put a deadline on themselves for, you know, noon or whatever. It just, it just was handled to me very poorly. But the team that gets screwed the most, USC was still going to play someone at home. Yeah, they're playing three games in 13 days, but whatever. Like that's, they got to do it. Uh, but Colorado, by no fault of their own, they missed the USC game. That would have been a great opportunity. And then, and it wasn't their fault. And now they were like, hey, come to LA and be the backup for USC. Um, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me. They're, they're a team that they need another game. I, I want to see Colorado play again. And I wanted to see them play for something significant. So to me, the teams that got screwed, screwed the most. And, and some Washington fans are tweeting at me. It's like, if your team is in, you know, your team's sick or, you know, they're, they got the virus. Like there's nothing that sucks, but you're not getting screwed. Like this is not something, not that you can control it, but if Colorado somehow kept the virus out of their team and now they're not getting game, they're getting screwed. You know, if I get sick and I miss, you know, work or something it's like, um, am I screwed or whatever? I miss a round of golf. It's like, well, I'm sick. Like that sucks, but I'm the one that's sick. Colorado wasn't sick and they haven't been. And they, I think they've got screwed throughout this. So I would have liked to see some the Pac-12 take more decisive action earlier so Colorado wouldn't be in the spot for the most part. Yeah, and even still, um, Colorado should probably, I mean, just looking at the remaining six teams, they should probably have moved matchups around and probably just told UCLA to stay home for the weekend. Um, just, I mean, if they're going for it in the interest of equity, because UCLA's already had six games, says Oregon State. Or go by record. So, you know, sorry, one of Washington State or Arizona State, you don't get to play this weekend because you've been too bad. Something like that. And put Colorado in there. Because I would much rather watch 4-1 and one Colorado play another game than a few of these teams. Um, so, yeah, I think I, I agree with you there. I think they got they got Mondo screwed. So, it is funny you bring that up. Um, Oregon State and UCLA are the only teams that got to play all of their games. Isn't that weird? Isn't it beautiful? Um, we had two out of 12 play uh, all of their games. But yeah, Buff fans, you know, I get, you, know, you can give me grief because of uh, I didn't pick you to win any games. You've certainly played better than that. But um, unfortunate situation, it just seems like, you know, Colorado is screwed unless somehow USC gets COVID between now and then. And then Colorado would, would step in. I don't know. Are they, they're still supposed to like travel to LA, right? Like, isn't that the thing? Like, I think, I think so. I think the Pac-12 is still having them do that. So it's just, I don't think this was handled well, but um, I, I didn't want it to come off as, oh, you know, poor USC pity party, whatever. I just don't like the way the Pac-12 handled everything. Um, all right. Well, we have to uh, get to our week seven previews. And I guess we'll start with the uh, championship game. Dave, we have Oregon Ducks. And they'll be taking on USC Trojans. It's a 5 p.m. game on Big Fox, uh, Oregon at USC, number 15 USC. USC is a three-point favorite. Um, there is no doubt in my mind that Oregon's winning this game. Really? Like, no doubt in my mind. None. Zero. Zero doubt. I'm 100% confident in Oregon's ability to win this game. All right. So give uh, me the Ducks. I'm going to take the Ducks, too. Um I, I mean, I was at the game last year, and Oregon pumped them. Now, 
you know, that offensive line isn't intact anymore. Justin Herbert's playing, uh, you know, in Inglewood now instead of uh, in uh, Eugene. But I, USC was really high after that UCLA win. And there's only so many times you can be that lucky at the end of games. And I think this is going to be the team. They're finally going to play a team that has similar talent than they do. Um, and so I, I kind of think it's going to be a close one, but I, I, I agree with you, Dave. I think Oregon is going to win this one and it's going to look really weird, uh, on the PAC 12, um, when this happens and you're like, if you're Oregon too, and you win this game, like, do you feel like this is the greatest PAC 12 championship ever? I mean, it's a weird year anyway, but I don't know. Do you feel any less about it? What, What would you think? Um, I think they will legitimately claim it. Um, because well, if we look at the North, it was Washington, which was three and one in conference. If they had beaten Washington, they would have won the North, um, in that game. So they can say, well, we beat USC and we had to skip Washington, but we skipped an opportunity to take the North. So we were the legitimate division winners. They'll claim it. And then, uh, they'll claim a conference title. I think okay. they'll they'll be happy with it. Um, and I, I, it's a this is the weird thing. It's an illegitimate year um, because you're having so many games canceled that it leaves room for hypotheticals. You can't just look at it and say, "Well, Washington finished three and one, and Oregon finished three and two, so Washington is the winner of the North." I mean, Washington fans can certainly say that. That's fine. I I, I think they should. I think they should say it to as many Oregon fans as they can. Yeah. Um, and Oregon fans, they should say, well, you didn't get to play us and we would have beaten you and we would have won the North. Um, and that's fine. That's what all this stuff, you know, that's the beauty of college football is complaining and whining about all this stuff. Um, but I think in as much as any of this season is legitimate, then Oregon winning this game, well, yeah, they can claim being the conference winner. Yeah. For my money, they are because USC we do not know how good USC is. I think they're pretty good. Do we know definitively that they're better than either of Washington or Oregon? Yeah. We don't. No. We really don't. And, I mean, the Ducks have lost their last two games. Lost to Oregon State and Cal. So, I mean, who knows? This is It's just a weird, it's a weird year. But, I, you know, I forgot a game already because we have to go, we have to make sure we show everyone what was actually scheduled. So, it really was Washington Huskies. <laughs> At USC Trojans for the Pac-12 championship, but COVID canceled. So then we got our Oregon at USC matchup. Okay, uh, so we're both going to take the Ducks. The rest of these games, I'm going to give them this one. Washington State Cougars. Until they prove me otherwise, and they're going to be on the road taking on Utah Utes. This is a 10.30 a.m. game on Fox Sports 1. Uh, Washington State traveling to Utah. Utah's a 10.5-point favorite. Um, y- yeah, that's a big spread. That's a big one. Um, Washington State, when last we saw them, uh, they were getting their doors blown off by USC. Um, and before that, they lost by a couple of touchdowns to Oregon. They really haven't played a lot of football this year. Um, only three games in. Uh, opened with a win over Oregon State, and then not a whole lot since then. Uh, Utah, though, looks like it's surging. Um, They were kind of comfortably dominant after a little bit against Colorado. Um, 
the Oregon State game, they handled it a little bit better than the final score would indicate. And they jumped out to a huge lead against Washington. I mean, this Utah team, uh, it would have been interesting to see if they could have played the Arizona and UCLA games um, because they, they're looking pretty good now. Um, God, I hate the spread. I hate the 10.5 points, but I'm going to go Utah. I just think they're a comfortably better team than Washington State. I, I have to agree. It's like I just feel like... This is, I mean, Utah surging, Washington State hasn't looked good in the one game they played, and they've had COVID-canceled games all around that one. So it's not like they've, you know, they didn't look good coming off like a two-week bye, and this is going to be like another one. Um, ah, yeah, it's, you know, they're going to be on the road, probably butt-ass cold. I, mean, I, I thought Utah could have had a lead in the first half and didn't against Colorado, and then they, you know, kind of blew their doors off in the second half. I think this one could get ugly, Dave. Like it, it could be like a twenty-eight pointer or something. So I hate the ten and a half. Washington State could come out and just play well, right? I mean, they could. They could look like they did like a little bit earlier in the season. But I think the odds are going to be more with Utah. So I'm going to take the Utes, and it sucks laying that many points, but that's what I'm going to do. Cool. Um, and if you want me to pick first in any of these, let me know. No, no, that's fine. Okay. Uh, all right. Next we have Stanford Cardinal. They're going to continue their uh, road trip across the West, uh, taking on UCLA Bruins. All right. This one has actually been moved to 4 p.m. on ESPN 2. Stanford traveling to the Rose Bowl. Um, UCLA is a seven-point favorite, um, which feels a little bit big. Um, UCLA traditionally has a massive hangover in any game where they have to play after the USC game. Um, pretty historically, they've just never particularly played well in those games. Um, trying to think, I think last year they might have, but I think previous to that, it had been generally pretty bad. No, last year they lost to Cal by 10 after USC. The previous year, they lost to Stanford by seven after USC. The year before that, they beat Cal. That was the one I was thinking of. Uh, They beat them by three. But pretty much every other year where they have to play a team after USC, not only do they lose, they kind of get their doors blown off, um, which is a phrase we've used, I think, three times on the show now. (laughs) Um, But they they generally get their butts whooped um, in the game after USC because it's a big emotional, you know, there's... it's like an emotional surge to play USC and then even win or lose, there's a come down after it. Um, and I think it's sort of what you were alluding to with, uh, you know, what you were thinking for USC with Oregon. It's the same thing with this game. Um, I think Stanford is uh, very focused and looking more and more like one of the traditional David Shaw teams of late and UCLA. While I think probably should have beaten USC, uh, on Saturday, there's the emotional letdown that I just can't discount. So I don't know if Stanford wins this, but I will take Stanford plus seven. Yeah, I was, I mean, I'm with you here. That's my initial thought. It's a lot of points. I think UCLA is still going to win the game, but I think it's going to be a, a closer one. Um, but Stanford has been very focused on this road trip, and it seems like it's been something that they've been able to rally around and say, our our, our home, you know, City, I mean, our, our home county won't even let us practice or play there. We're going to go hit the road. And um, so just really been impressed. It is seems like a more traditional 
David Shaw team, I thought this team would kind of fall off and, you know, even further down from what we saw last year, but they've played pretty well in the pandemic after, you know, the slow start early on. So seven points is just too many for me. So I'm going to, you know, I think there's a chance that UCLA puts it together and they run their game and they play from ahead. So, I mean, I think they want to do some similar things to what Stanford likes to do, but the UCLA run game has been great. I thought the defense has been super aggressive and if they can, they can get that early lead. And I think they can, you know, just kind of, uh, put a stranglehold on on Stanford, but something tells me it's going to be close. So seven points is too many. So I'm going to take uh, Stanford as well. All right. All right. Now this one, when the Pac-12 came out with their matchups, they all had TV, you know, time slots and TVs and everything. This one was TBD because you just didn't think it was going to happen. Arizona State Sun Devils. (laughs) On the road, taking on California Golden Bears. And as you know, David, this one was COVID canceled. And we'll give it a double COVID canceled because neither team could have fielded a team for this one. So this was just like, like I, I don't even know why they wasted the the electrons to write it in the email that they sent out. Like this was not happening. Right. No possible way. Um, yeah. So sorry, Arizona, your season's over. You go look for a coach. And uh, sorry, Justin Wilcox. Um, what we thought could be a promising season. Um, yeah, went down in flames. So, okay, this next one, uh, this was going to be Oregon Ducks. They're going to be playing Colorado Buffalo in the stadium of USC Trojans. If you got all that, but this one, pending. COVID pending. <laughs> oh, okay. oh, that's a good one. Do that one again. COVID pending. Yeah, so they could be playing Oregon at the Coliseum if USC gets COVID canceled. So, yeah, if they make sense of any of that. So um, we'll see what happens there. And then we got one last one that actually looks like it's going to happen. We hope it goes across fingers. Arizona State Sun Devils. (laughs) And they're going to take on Oregon State Beavers. 7.30 on ESPN, Arizona State traveling to Oregon State. ASU is a a 7.5-point road favorite. That's... I'll tell you right now, I'm taking Oregon State. So if if you're you're in the fence and you want to go opposite... Ah, Christ. Just so you know, I mean, I picked them all year. I want to take Oregon State because they've lost one game by more than seven points this year. Yeah. One. The last um, five games have been within that fine. score. I'll take ASU. I, I think ASU wins, but I, I don't know. But I'll take them. Seven and a half, fine. Because, um, we, I mean, I have, I've picked them. We both have picked them in every single game. And we're 4-1-1 one, and one, uh, picking the Beavs. Like, so they've been really good against the spread. Um, you know, any spread, the only spread they didn't cover, they were, they were favored in that first one. And... Uh, that's the only one they didn't they didn't cover on against uh, Washington State. Um, so, all right, so you're going to do the opposite things. It's similar to what I did last week with uh, Arizona, Arizona State. So that's good. I guess. <laughs> well, we only have one different one, so we'll uh, you'll either add to your deficit or or knock into to my lead a little bit. So we'll see what happens there. Whatever. The season's illegitimate. I just got done saying it. 
it's it's very as far as picks go it's super legitimate like it shows your you know it shows your metal it shows what you can do all right we we you know, there's been a lot here even with all the canceled games we have a ton of questions to get to too mm-hmm. um so i'm going to take a quick break and dave's going to too and then we're going to come back and answer your questions <laughs> eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. So there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. All right, we're back here on the podcast of champions. Um, looks like we got like 14 questions or so, plus a voicemail. Yeah, like 15 from one guy. Yeah, we, we might have to, if you want to do some editing with that. You know, um, as far as, I think we have the voicemail had to do with like a preview. Do you want me to start with the voicemail and do that? Really? All right, let's, let's do, do that. Hello, Ryan. Hello, Sith Lord Dave. Well, 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 it's all going to come down to this. The Cardinal and the Bruins in a battle of clock management versus poor situational play calling and punting. I'm curious, Dave. You gave me a little give me a little taste last week of the all right now, but should Stanford exceed all of the podcast of champions wild expectations once again and hold on to the football or convert on some touchdowns in the red zone and be good enough on defense, get off the field just enough on defense, uh, would you be willing to go wire to wire? Wire to wire all right now by the band free. Also, how do you see this game playing out? Uh, I'm curious. Um, keep it mediocre, boys. Beautiful. That's a beautiful voicemail. Yeah. Okay, so the question is... Um, can't will I sing all of all right now after Stanford beats UCLA on Saturday? We both picked Stanford, so I don't know if you would have to do that, right? Well, I think, but it's because we were talking some mad shit about Stanford uh, uh, preseason. Um, so here's the thing: I just looked up the lyrics to "All Right Now" uh, by Free. Um, I know the chorus, right? There are other words to that song. 
were you aware of this? Uh, no, <laughs> no. And I can't, I could not even describe the tune. Like I will have to listen to this several times before I will even attempt, uh, uh, to, to vocalize it. But what are we doing here? I'll commit. All right. I'll commit right now. Your dulcet tones singing classic rock here on our airwaves. I think that'll be great. It's going to be great. It's going to be beautiful. Uh, well, thank you for the voicemail. I, I, only the Stanford fans are smart enough to call the voicemail line, I think. Is that true? Yeah, very much. No, <laughs> no we've had some others. but uh, Well, USC fans know how to do it. It's because they're always calling complaining in customer service. That's true. They do that. Right. Um, you mean, we can start equity brewing. Uh, looks like he's the first one. How many oh, people have man. to get hurt? Oh boy. Yeah, this was he's uh this is at me, I believe. Uh yeah, Ryan no, and Dave. You're you're gonna get hammered here. I get hammered. Uh Ryan and Dave, love the podcast. The chemistry between y'all is incredible. One of the best duos in podcasting I've heard in that regard. Well, I mean that's very nice. And I think I think that's true. I think we have good chemistry, even though we have different points of view or whatever. That's part of what works, right? I think so. I don't think this works. Okay. Uh, the only knock is that eighty percent of the li- <laughs> the only knock is that eighty percent of the listeners and people who email in are weirdo neoconservatives <laughs> obsessed with individual freedom, p- expressed purely as economic production and consumption. Why don't you uh, just call them what they are? People who went to USC. That, that's not eighty percent of our listeners. We have a pretty wide range of stuff. Yes, we do. Uh, in that vein, I have a question for Ryan. Since the, a vast majority of questions have been directed to Dave for caring about public health. The narrative Ryan peddles on the podcast and on Twitter is that, quote, there haven't been many instances of severe illness from COVID. But this willingly ignore, willfully ignores that schools and players, perhaps with pressure from schools, are not disclosing who is sick and how sick they get. An example is a Miami player who got myocarditis, whom, uh, who we might not have otherwise known about it if it hadn't been leaked. We also have heard that at least one or multiple Utah players were hospitalized during their outbreak, which leads me to my question. Ryan, in order for you to change your position that watching kids play a sport is essential, how many football players would have to publicly disclose that they either A, suffered long-term effects of COVID, or B, were at one point hospitalized while infected? Or does a highly visible player have to die first before you care? Thanks for all you do and keep up the great work. P.S. Ryan's baby brained argument that ignores that playing football means interacting with 100 plus people every day and 200 plus people on game days. Clearly, we've seen how testing actually doesn't mitigate that. Damn. Wow. It's a lot. All right, Equity Bruin. So I would say um, if. 50 college football players died, then I think, okay, we need to take a look at this, right? I mean, okay, that's a terrible <laughs> joke. <laughs> that's awful. Okay, there's no one, like, it has, like, it's weird. We're in California, and we have things that are going on, like Santa Clara saying, you can't practice here, but go in another state, and you can. And then I, I watch Monday Night Football, and I see 20,000, you know, Cleveland Browns fans there, and it's been happening all year. I don't know. Are like are a bunch of those fans that are going to the games getting sick? Um, I'm just I'm not seeing like that. There's controls in place that seem to keep most of these guys safe. Even when there's an outbreak, you hear oh there's no symptoms, blah blah blah. 
I'm not seeing, and I, I know the players and, and the coaches, it sucks for them. They want to play, but it sucks for them because they're not getting to see their family. So the argument about, well, they're going to go home to grandma, they're not supposed to, or they're not been doing it. Now, is that something you should be asking these guys? I don't know. I mean, but they seem to want to do it. Like the only way you could do it is if, hey, you're going to play football, you'll be around a bunch of young, healthy people. If you get it, you know, go to bed for a, a week or whatever, and then you'll be back. But if you go to grandma and give it to her, like then all bets are off. So, I, you know, we're already here. It's like you're you're rolling down the hill like a million miles an hour. I, I'm. This isn't really the time I would say to to put on the brakes. I think we're kind of past the argument of this should be done or not. It's being done, and I think for the most part, most of the people seem pretty safe. I don't know if it's been like this. You know, if you're talking about the surge in cases across the country, can you say? college sports are the reason it's it seems like if you keep things in these controlled spaces that there's cases but i don't think they're like adding to the icu beds or things like that at least from what i've seen maybe i'm wrong i Um, i think so my i don't i i don't know and i don't think there's a way of knowing until there's some actual transparency because to his point there are cases where clearly guys have been hospitalized and they're not they're hiding behind HIPAA to not say anything. And that's, you know, completely expected. Uh, all of these programs are insanely secretive about all their crap. So totally. Um, my thing is more his, uh, like that PS and not, I would, I would never call you baby brained, but my more, my thing is more his PS. And I would say to your question about whether or not college football is actually leading to the surge in cases, I would say no, but nothing no one thing in micro is leading to the surge in cases. I think it's a broad nationwide philosophy and approach to this thing that is very stupid, like and very, very stupid and is needlessly getting a lot of people killed who did not need to die. Um, but it's a symptom of that. It's it's one of many things that we're doing that is very stupid. How many deaths can you point to from college football? I don't know, but certainly more than one. I mean, there's people somebody's family member saw somebody at something and spread the illness because they got it from some 18 year old who talked to their coach, who talked to their kid, who talked to their whatever, their mom, whatever. And on down the line, when you have a bunch of community, you know, spread, when you have people congregating every day, you're meaningfully spreading the virus, a virus that is killing people. So no, I would say the, 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 the strongest links are probably between, you know, as much as uh, everyone would like it to not be true, uh, schools opening seems to be a pretty good through line for why there is a significant amount more spread now than there was uh, even in July when there was a surge. Cold weather certainly doesn't help, um, but also just the fact that we're not restricting anything in so many different areas. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of reasons for it, but college football is a minor one, but one of them, too. Um, because yeah. we are doing it and it is stupid to be doing it. Um, and to your point, no, there's no stopping this train now. Um, but I'm going to keep calling it stupid. And I, I know that angers some people, but it is, it's all, this is very dumb. We didn't have to do it this way. We have, and it's done and we're going to continue doing it. I think with college basketball now, um, but it's all very stupid. And we, we should, you know, at least have the intellectual honesty to acknowledge that. The weird, the weird thing for me, and I'm not a big basketball guy, like I had 
I think I had more issue with college basketball starting than I did because of the timing, right? Yeah, like the timing seems weird, but it's also it's a way different. Like it's like a a one week chunk where you can like okay, boom, you know we're we're testing out all you're like building up to this one thing every weekend, and there's all these protocols in place to try to make sure that that happens, and if it doesn't, boom, things get shut down and you miss a week or two. But like for basketball, it's like you're there's a lot more travel. You're doing multiple things per week. And it's insane. It's insane. It, it, it's indoors. I don't know if that's going to matter at all, but it's indoors. Um, it seems like it matters. It does seem like it matters. Well, and I don't know I, if it matters in a big area arena, like if that's just if it's basically the same thing. But yeah. yeah, it's 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 stupid. It's it's extremely stupid. Um, and we're we're gonna do it anyway. Obviously, we're already doing it. Um, and nobody's gonna raise too big of a stink about it because we've just we we've. We've baked into our philosophy and approach to this that we're just going to behave as stupidly and irresponsibly as possible. And that's fine. If that's who we want to be, that's cool. Um, but it, it's just dumb. I mean, it, that's all. It, we have the most spread of uh, any developed country in the world. Um, anybody who's tracking this, like in terms of just how many cases there are right now. And we just we're not doing any of the restrictions that these other places are doing now to respond to it. We're just pretty stupid. That's that's all. That's what? that's more my point at this at this juncture. It's just we're we're behaving very stupidly. One thing too, Equity Bruin. Um, I would love to see like Dave, like Dave said, like there's got to be some data that comes out of this. And the thing that I just felt and like Dave said, I'm not an epidemiologist, although we could have, we could have all like taken courses during the pandemic. We, we, I mean, I, I think, I think we're clearly, um, on our road to being epidemiologists. <laughs> we're on our way. Uh, we got some prereqs down, but like my gut is that the, you know, on field stuff hasn't been like a spread on field. So if you're playing a sport and one of the guys ends up being positive, we've seen them, you know, taken out of circulation but they were positive when they played the game and it didn't seem to like affect the other team. That's kind of a positive thing where you're worried that like that's happening, but you know, daily testing is not going to fix everything. We, we thought it was going to be you know better than it was. Maybe some of the false positives have, have hurt that. Well, I don't know, but the good thing is it didn't seem like the on field, you know, transmission of uh, the virus has been a thing. I don't know, at least in football, like outside, maybe in basketball, it will be, I'm not sure, but, um, cause in the NBA was a bubble. That's the only basketball we saw. So they just made sure no one had it. Now you're going to have guys that are be positive. We don't know they're positive yet playing on the basketball court with someone. And maybe it goes from team to team, but I haven't, at least I haven't seen that or read about it, that that's happened so far, at least in football. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it's, uh, if it, if it has happened, it doesn't seem like it's particularly prevalent because it would have gotten picked up with the testing. Um, so, I mean, I, yeah. I, I'm sure there was an isolated case here or there from it, but no, I don't think that I was mean, one of the big worries early on, right? They're like, oh, you know, that was it like the Phillies played. Yeah. yeah was, and they were like, was, the Marlins yeah. got it. And like, but none of the Phillies players got it. I'm like, okay, well, that was baseball. And like, well, then we haven't seen it in football either. So at least that's, you know, but it's, it's not, but you're not ignoring it, it, the virus, but it's like, that's positive if you weren't transmitting it that way. That's nice. You know, but, but think about what that means though. Like it, it's, it, that was the big news because it's the easiest, th that would have been the only way that this thing truly would have shut down is if it came out that there was transmission between teams is that's the way it would have shut things down. And 
the obvious transmission, the stuff that's obviously going on that nobody seems to want to acknowledge is all of these teams are having positive cases. Where are they getting it? They're getting it from the people they're seeing because they're not in a bubble. Yeah. And the inter like between teams who cares, but within the team, there's obvious transmission that's going on. And you would have to be a simpleton to not think that, okay, it's getting in, but it's not getting out. You know, they're not continuing to spread it beyond the the confines of their team. It's it's staying right here. When we just uh, we just talked about Cal's situation where they tested negative on Friday and then positive on Saturday. Well, let's say that it actually became positive on Saturday, but they were, you know, contagious for a period of time before that. Well, how who did they see? Because they're clearly seeing people because they got the illness. They they, they got the virus. So I, I think it's it, there's a lot of magical thinking, which is, a, again, that's code for stupid thinking. <laughs> Um, a lot of people behaving very stupidly. And I think a lot of people behaving very cynically stupidly where they're, they have, again, we all have a goal we want to achieve here. And so we're going to apply whatever reasoning gets us to the goal that we want to achieve. A lot of people wanted to watch football this year. And so they've applied their reasoning and their thinking to, well, let's set this up so that it makes sense to have this. And that's not set it up so that all the safety is in place, set it up in their brains so that, they can feel good about themselves logically um, when they think about this. And so a lot of people have done that and it's fine. Um, It's just all very stupid and we shouldn't be doing it. All right. You want to do perk? I do. All right. Uh, My apologies to Ryan for the long questions last week. Try to keep it short this time around. Uh, One Ryan, in an earlier episode, you mentioned bad assistant hires for underachieving USC teams in Pete Carroll's later years. Who were the underwhelming assistants, in your opinion, and what area was hurt the most by that hire? Linebacker play, player development, recruiting, etc. Okay, so first of all, Perk says we're going to make it shorter, and it's still really long. Second, he wants me to remember what I said in a previous episode, and then remember what happened 15 years ago on the field. So there's a lot of memory in this one. Uh, I would say, just in general, Pete Carroll became someone that, like, you've seen what Nick Saban's been able to do, right? They lose... So many of his assistants have become head coaches other places because you basically want some of that saving greatness to rub off on, on, you know, Jeremy Pruitt or whoever. Um, Pete Carroll had a little different philosophy. So so Saban would go out. He loses a great defensive coordinator. He goes and hires some great defensive coordinator from somebody else. Um, do you want to go to Alabama instead of wherever you are? Yep. Okay, come to here. Pete Carroll was sort of in the mindset of, I want to – build the coach. So I want to take the coach in and make a great defensive coordinator. So he had a guy like Rocky Seto, who was a walk on like inspirational linebacker that became like a GA. I think he might've been like a video guy and like a GA and then starts moving up the ranks to eventually become a defensive coordinator. And you're like, so he would have rather built coaches. And then sometimes it's, you know, it's worked out okay. Like he brought in, you know, Lane Kiffin and Steve Sarkeesian and eventually had them replace the veteran Norm Chow when Norm Chow was getting a lot of credit for the offense, rightfully so. And he wanted it to be USC's offense, not Norm Chow's offense, but it really was Norm Chow's offense. And then they never won a championship after he replaced them. But, you know, to Pete Carroll's credit, both of those guys went on to become head coaches. You know, Ed Orgeron went on to become a head coach and won a freaking national championship and then blew up while well, they just beat, you know, Florida. Um, 
I think uh, Ken Norton Jr., was, he gave him a shot. He was a GA at USC. That was his first coaching gig. And he's a, still a defensive coordinator in the NFL now. So he's done that for some coaches, but there's just too many of them that really didn't work out. And I felt like it was more ego that he wanted to create coaches as opposed to just going out and hire proven ones, if that makes sense. That's, that's my theory on it. That made beautiful sense. Thanks. Uh, two, Dave, how much of an impact do you see UCLA's new deal with Nike and Jordan having not just with football, but with the athletic department school? Um, God, I'm the wrong guy to ask about this stuff because I just don't care. Um, I could get <laughs> Wait, really you're excited. you're not a capitalist? <laughs> I, no, I, I, I really don't care about the apparel stuff. Yeah. Um, but uh, all right, I'm going to try to put that cap on. Hang on. Oh my God, it's going to be such a big deal. Um, having Nike and Jordan is going to help with recruiting in so many different ways because in basketball, it's super important to have the foot brand that everyone likes to have, which is Nike and Air Jordan. So lots of guys are going to want to come to UCLA because of it. Um, reality is, I think for basketball, it matters a lot um, because there have been uh, situations in the past at various schools where uh, the shoe company is actually the one making the deal for the recruit. Um, and I'm not saying that's happening going forward. I think the shoe companies have gotten um, slapped on the wrist pretty hard for it. But I think there's still like some realities to the AAU relationships, um, the sponsorships at the basketball you know, youth level that very much matter for where these guys are going to go to school. And that doesn't necessarily mean anything illicit, but it does. Um, so I don't, I, we'll see how much that impacts UCLA from like a recruiting standpoint. It's not as if UCLA needs a ton of help recruiting anyway. Um, in football, I don't know. No idea. I, zero. Um, I don't think there's cash associated with this deal. Um, so it's just an apparel and brand thing. I, it, there's no way of knowing exactly how much this is going to impact the athletic department. Um, I, I, I really fail to see the, 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 the big upshot of a lot of this stuff. Um, I thought getting a lot of money from Under Armour was pretty cool um, just for the like solvency of the athletic department. Maybe this will have like such a big marketing and branding impact that it actually ends up bringing in a lot of money. I just don't know. Um, but it'll be nice that they have some, I don't know, good clothes and shoes. I, I don't care. Can I make that clear, Ryan? Gloves? What about gloves or gloves? Yeah, gloves, 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 definitely gloves. Um, but couldn't, <laughs> couldn't care less. Couldn't, couldn't care. All right. All right. Um, three, in light of Will Muschamp's massive buyout at South Carolina, what is the worst contract and or contract extension you guys have seen a coach receive? Oh, he brings up the one I was going to mention just right off the bat. The only one that comes to me to mind for me is Charlie Weiss at Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah. He got yeah. like a 10 year deal after losing to USC, right? Like fully guaranteed too. Was it full? It was fully guaranteed. Uh, the other one that's really bad is Jimbo Fisher's. His at Texas A&M is horrible. It's like ten years, seventy-five million, something like that. Yeah, I don't know what uh, his buyout is, but the I think it's fully guaranteed too. Wow. Um, Gus. So Gus Malzahn has been at Auburn for, or was at Auburn for like eleven years. Eight as head coach. I mean, I think every year they've talked about firing him. But he still had 20-something million dollars to be for the buyout. So he had a, a pretty good deal there. And I think his was only – I think I saw some of the terms. It was like 75% guaranteed. Um, that's bad. I mean, Clay Helton's – it depends when they sign him. Clay Helton at USC signs his with 
incompetent athletic director, Lynn Swan at, in the February of 2018, I believe it was. And a few months later, he goes five and seven and had just signed a fully guaranteed contract that bumped them up 40% in salary. He's making over $5 million a year now. Um, and no one was going to be hiring Clay Helton away from, from USC, like not Memphis or anybody. Uh, so yeah, th- things like that where no one's really coming after him. Like, c- could you argue people could were to come after Charlie Weiss? Like, maybe. But I don't know. Or were people going to come get Gus Malzahn? Were they going to get Muschamp? Are they going to try to hire Helton away? If not, why do you need these huge guarantees? Like, well, no, we're not going to sign you a huge guarantee. If so, if go somewhere then. Show us where you can go. Um, so that that's to me the weird one is if there's no one trying to hire the guy away, you don't need to put these like crazy like these are the worst contracts in in the country, it seems like the, the, the agents are just crushing the athletic directors for, for the most part, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, four, with the recent success of guys like Ed Orgeron and Lane Kiffin and the solid season for Carl Durrell, do you guys see more second chance power five hires going forward? I don't know just because of that, but I mean, you see movies that are remade. It's like people, if you're uncertain about things, like you hire what you know and like you've seen before. So I, I think that's just a common thing for about everything. Like you're you're redoing stuff as opposed to making new things, which you could argue isn't a great way to do it. But so, sometimes it can be safer. Sometimes it's worse, you know, but a lot of times people, you know, you're not going to get fired as much for, you know, is are you going to get fired as the AD at Ole Miss for hiring Lane Kiffin when a lot of people wanted him or, you know, Dan Guerrero left, but like, you're not getting fired for hiring Chip Kelly. Like everyone wanted to hire him. That makes sense. You know, if you want to try give him another shot. Yeah, I could see it. Um, I think there's also just like from a sincere standpoint, I think, uh, you know, uh, I, I get better at my job. You get better at your job. These guys got better at their jobs. You know, Carl Durrell, I think, is a better coach than he was 13 years ago for at sure. UCLA. Ed Orgeron's a better coach than he was at Ole Miss. And Lane Kiffin remains Lane Kiffin. Um, but I, I think it's just, you know, these guys got better with age um, because they've been in, you know. When Carl Durrell was hired at UCLA, he was like a 41-year-old uh, wide receivers coach. I mean, just... I, you know, I I talk about I talked about in the recap of the UCLA game not putting guys in positions uh, to fail. Um, he was put in a position to fail um, when you're just it was way too much too soon for him. And I think he grew in the job a little bit, but I think um, I, I think he's clearly a better coach now than he was then. Um, yeah. And I think that's the same is true for especially Ed Orgeron. I think. He maybe got a little bit too much too soon um, coming out of USC and then took him a while um, to get another shot. But when he did, he he had learned some things from that failure. Um, It makes me kind of think uh, if I'm choosing between somebody who's like a, a reboot, like somebody who didn't who didn't necessarily do well the first time around or somebody who did moderately well but is like a known moderately well, I might go with the, you know, maybe somebody who like a Durrell or Orgeron who failed a little bit first time around, Um, especially if they've been kicking around still in the coaching circles, because how many times do you see a guy who was like decent at one place and then is just horrible at the next place because he just doesn't have the energy for it anymore. Yeah. Those guys, I mean, Durrell, Orgeron, they might be hungrier because of the initial failure. Um, and, I don't know. I mean, it's food for thought. Orderon definitely is. I mean, uh, 
flip the script is a book that, you know, Bruce Feldman wrote with him. I read it and yeah, it's like, there was definitely a fire there when he got not, wasn't retained by USC. And I'm sure there's some similar stories with Carl Durrell. Um, but if it's a guy like Will Muschamp, that's been like three or four different places and they've all been kind of shitty, like, no, he should go sell cars. Like, <laughs> like Will Muschamp's are, done. Right. Like, go, dr- go drive a forklift, buddy. N- yeah. Never coach again. I think a Carl Durrell is a much different story. It's like, okay, that's interesting that you give him a shot, but like, yeah, it's like, it's not like they've just gone from one. And we, I think we see this like MLB managers. We like NBA coaches. They just seem to be like, Oh, we'll try him here. We'll try him here. And it's just like, you see that guy fail five times. Like, do you want to see him fail again? Like, I don't know. You know? Yeah, exactly. All right. And then five, God, this is a long question. We've got like 12 more of these. Uh, Dave, if you could rank the following losing vice presidential candidates from best to worst, how would you rank them? <laughs> Holy shit. All right. It's Joe <laughs> Lieberman, John Edwards, Sarah Palin, Paul Ryan, and Tim Kaine. I would, I mean, I, I think I answered another one of these questions. I would chain all of them together at the bottom of the ocean. Um, <laughs> Okay. Which I, one was I, Tim Kaine? What were uh, Tim Kaine was the Hillary Clinton one. Oh, so, wow. Okay, so they're, they're partners in crime. So Joe Lieberman's was Al Gore. John Edwards was John Kerry. Sarah Palin was John McCain. Paul Ryan was Mitt Romney. And Tim yeah. Kaine was Hillary Clinton. Um, they're all very bad. I, I want to say that up at the top. Uh, <laughs> the best of the bunch was more than likely... So I I don't know. Am I am I grading them based off of my personal politics or am I grading them based off of their success as a candidate, like their value to the ticket? Do your value as a ticket. All right. Then Sarah Palin's number one. She was most valuable? Yeah. I think she made it um closer than it was going to be for a bit. And then I think the financial crisis kind of murdered it. But well, they were crushing uh, her. I thought they would oh interesting. Okay. Well, I don't think anyone else provided any value whatsoever. No, I think she 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 was kind of a Tea Party um, progenitor. Um, I think she kind of put her finger on the pulse a little bit in a way that nobody had before. Um, also, obviously, very stupid the whole thing. But um, then after that, uh, it's a mess. Um, success to the ticket, God. None of these. Uh, <laughs> okay, then like John pro- Edwards, John right? Edwards, and Tim Kaine are the same person. You cannot convince me otherwise. Uh, <laughs> Joe Lieberman, horrible pick for VP. Um, they basically were going for like we're going to be the center party, and you know Joe Lieberman's basically a Republican. Um, and Paul Ryan, I, I, I he's an absolute just replicant, but. Um, I don't know if he had value or if he hurt Romney's campaign. They're all really bad. Um, <laughs> I, I actually cannot go further than this. They're I all very, it. very bad. I love it. I love that you have just such opinions on these things. This is great. And Tim Kaine, like Tim Kaine, like, look, Hillary was a horrible candidate, right? We've yes. we've we've talked about this, um, or I don't know if we have, but everyone everyone in the free world acknowledges this. But the only way to make her worse is to just put her with, like, just the most milk toast, like, just dude from Virginia. Like, what the fuck? Like, who is this pick? Go get somebody cool to be the VP. Don't just get basically John Edwards. What the hell are you doing? Well, she was supposed to be the cool one, but that wasn't, <laughs> that's not, yeah. 
Because she was a woman, she was supposed to be the cool one, but that did not be the. That wasn't the case. No, she wasn't cool. She wasn't cool. And Tim Kaine, not cool, not cool. Yeah. Um. But that's it's just yeah. Anyway. Anyway, uh, they're all very bad. Thank you for that question, Perk. Yeah. So Perk, again, that's not short, but uh, okay. Uh, we're we're going long on these two, but whatever. I I don't have the like the heart out like I did the last time, so. Um, but Dave probably going to pull out his hair soon. So we're going to have to get through these. Just, I don't have much left. You have what? I don't have much left. Oh yeah. You pull your I'm, beard out. How's that? I'm thinning. Um, dust. I got my wisdom teeth out last week. Yes. Are you, we should have talked about the very beginning. I think I texted you like for something for the game and I totally forgot you had told me you're getting the wisdom teeth out that day and you wrote something on Novocaine. So you, you feeling better. Not on Novocaine, not on Novocaine. After general anesthesia and taking a hydrocodone. Cool. <laughs> um, so you were you, out, out. I was, yeah, they knocked me out for it. Yeah. I mean, I'm a 35-year-old man getting his wisdom teeth out. They've got to, like, break, the, break them off from the bones. It's not, yeah. not super kosher. They got, like, a ice pick and a fucking axe and shit. And just like, yeah, no, that was my first ever, like, going under surgery of any kind. Was, oh, wow. Yeah, that was quite the experience. Well, I'm glad you woke up. Yeah, me too. Well, you're feeling better. Uh, sure. It's been like a week, right? Yeah, I'm just eating pudding, but yeah, it's great. I love pudding. Yeah, it's all right. Could you? It's not, it's not great when you're eating it like just kind of constantly, and it's the only thing you can eat. Yeah, one of those things where like I feel like if you put a like a vat of pudding in front of me, like I could just keep eating it for a long time. Like I don't know when I would stop, but I could probably eat it for a long time. Like chocolate pudding or butterscotch pudding or something. I think I could I could put away a lot of that. I don't think I could. I don't think I could. Um, I, I I can handle about a cup, and then I'm I'm pretty disgusted with myself. But well, you're a normal person. I'm I have a like a twelve year old boy. That's what I eat like sometimes. That's so. true. That's true. Uh, dust. Hey, this is a text message we got. Hey, Dave and Ryan, UCLA Southern Cal game question for you both, but Ryan in particular. What was up with the post game scrap? There were literally Trojans or Trojies on the UCLA sideline in dudes' faces. Uh, throwing up middle fingers on national television. Obviously, it's heated, but tough look there. Uh, that's something the conference. Uh, that's something the conference takes action in response to. Um, from dust. Yeah, they, they were showing that. I I rewatched the because I was at the game. I rewatched the broadcast. Very weird, by the way. Um, being this is my first game I covered in person. Dave was very strange. Um, just surreal. Being yeah. That- because they don't have a – so UCLA didn't have a press box announcer, which you usually have, but you had a stadium announcer. But it was very – once it was like a UCLA stadium announcer. So, you know, if – when Talanoa Funga like intercepts the ball, you're like looking at it like, I think something good just happened for USC, but I'm not really hearing anything. There's not like really crowd noise. Um, but like if, you know, um, you know, DTR takes off and runs for a first down – there's you cheering and then the announcers like calling it. So it was just, it was a weird feeling overall, just being there. Like you're it's sort of like you're watching it and like not really believing it. Cause you weren't hearing what you normally would hear when something like that happens, if that makes sense. Yeah, totally. Uh, very strange, but yeah, that was weird. I didn't get to watch a lot of this live. I couldn't tell what was going on from, we were on the other, we we're in the North press box. This was happening South end zone. Um, but uh, yeah, TV, it didn't look, Look very good. I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on that, Dave? I didn't see it, and I don't care. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Dust. Uh, yeah. So that 
obviously you don't want to do stuff like that. It, like we talked about during the game recap, and you know UCLA was winning the entire game basically, um, and then USC comes back and wins. I don't know if there was a lot of trash talking going on during the game. We hadn't heard like players didn't really uh, say that. We've heard that, but you know it's a can be a heated game. But you don't want to do stuff like that after the game. Clay Helton was like running around trying to push people out of the way. He fell over trying to push. I think Drake. Uh, London away from a UCLA player. So it was, it was kind of comical, actually, what was going on. But, yeah, you don't want to see that stuff if you don't have to. I didn't. Um, <laughs> all right. Here is uh, Frank in Sacramento. Uh, rivalry flashback. The USC-UCLA game reminded me of the 2008 Texas Tech Texas game. Hang on. Do people remember games from that long ago that don't involve their teams? <laughs> I remember like this happening. Like I remember Texas tech beating Texas. I thought it was Graham Harrell. I remember Michael Crabtree making, I most thing I remember is Crabtree making some crazy catch and beating Texas, but I couldn't have told you what year. And if you said who gun to your head, who was the quarterback? I wouldn't have known, but it was Graham Harrell who's USC's offensive coordinator now, but I remember Michael Crabtree making a catch, but that's about it. Anyway, uh, the USC-UCLA game reminded me of the 2008 Texas Tech-Texas game with Keaton Slovis filling in for Graham Harrell and Drake London filling in for uh, sorry receiver Michael Tra- Crabtree. He doesn't really like Crabtree, I guess. I don't know what the sorry is. There may be a typo. Uh, all I want to know is, did David Woods say a naughty, naughty word at the end? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I did, Frank. Thank <laughs> you for asking. I said several of them. Um during the game, too, there were there were quite a few naughty words, and I was watching with my dad, um, so I was I was fit, turning the air a little blue. I I, t- I tweeted you before the game because I thought your tradition was usually to like tweet or maybe we said it on the podcast or something. You're like you're like clear your throat and like everyone, excuse me, and then you'd say like fuck SC or something like that, like right, like. Mm-hmm. But you didn't yeah, do I didn't that. Do I didn't do that this time. No. Maybe, Maybe that was the difference in the game. Yeah, but I, I thought that was a tradition, and I, I was kind of bummed that you didn't do it. But yeah, I mean, I, for once in all, um, <clears throat> fuck SC. But uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, didn't didn't do it this week. All right, uh, we got Chip and Sumlin. Uh, this is from Alex in uh, SB. Hello, David, and at least this week to David only. Wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, this past weekend, Kevin Sumlin Sounds was intimate. Yeah, he doesn't seem to really like me very much. Uh, Kevin Sumlin was fired with a career record of 9-20 and 20 at Arizona. Fans seem to overwhelmingly feel this is the right move at the right time. Chip Kelly, after a disastrous second-half collapse this week, after a near collapse against ASU last week, sits at 10-20. and 20. As far as I can tell from a recent bro poll, the majority of UCLA fans either want to wait and see or support Chip. Chip is compensated more at UCLA and has, uh, and as far as we can tell, the program is given everything he has asked for, or he asked for. Can you gentlemen, yes, Ryan, you too, I don't hate you, see a reason why someone deserved to be fired and Chip Kelly not with near identical records or is UCLA within its rights to fire Chip Kelly? Thank you from a very frustrated Bruin, Alex in SB. I think they're totally justified if they choose to do it. I don't think they will. Um, but yeah, you're 10 and 23 years in. That could be time. You you could call it. Um, the reason that someone was fired and Chip 
it has not been and likely won't be is that Sumlin went 0-12 over his previous 12 games and lost by 63 to his rival. You can't do that. Um, you, you add embarrassment upon lack of success, and that gets people so angry. Like, the people who still care about your program, that tight knot of people, gets them so angry and so hopping mad that it's just untenable uh, for the coach to continue. Chip hasn't hit that point. Um, and as you can see by the bro polls, so a couple things there. One, anybody in the history of the world who says that UCLA fans are unreasonable or that they, you know, have way too high standards for a coach in any sport, shut up. Like, shut up forever. Because Chip Kelly's 10 and 20, and like half the people are like, yeah, give him another couple years. What the hell? Who cares? Um, so, yeah, the, they do not have high standards. Second, um, I think it's a testament to the way they've played. I mean, I, I don't want to completely knock uh, Kelly's time at UCLA, uh, at least this year, because they did play better this year. This was the best year that Chip Kelly has had at UCLA. So I think people are seeing that and drawing the conclusion that maybe maybe it's on the upswing now. Um, I'm not there. I don't... I'm in the uncertain, but even... Even uncertain, I think there's enough there that like you could you could call it and that would be fine. Like you could call it a day on this thing. Um, but I think enough people have convinced themselves that, well, okay, so they were able to do it this year with these guys, and they'll come back next year and be even a little bit better. And this thing's building now. Um, my fundamental issue is that they're still recruiting um, like Minnesota in a down year, um, and I don't think long term that's sustainable at UCLA. Yeah, I think some good points. I would disagree a little bit. I think it, you know Arizona just takes football a lot more seriously. I, uh, I think I, 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 I've threatened it a few times on this show, but I actually <laughs> will come to wherever you are and kill you. Arizona's not known as like a basketball school. They're more a football program. Like UCLA, just kind of a basketball thing that has a football team. So I think Arizona just takes this a lot more seriously. So any any football school would fire their coach at 10 and 20 but UCLA is historically the like I I I feel (laughs) like there's a big cadre of UCLA fans who do not understand that UCLA is historically like the number two or maybe number three program in the Pac-12 like they just don't understand I will I I I swear I will do it (laughs) I will um (laughs) it's it's so bad it's so bad like they've just accepted the reality that UCLA being like the seventh best team in the Pac-12 over the last 20 years is, oh, yeah, that's that's normal. That's the way it should be. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah. You know what's crazy? I, I've forgotten. To, I just forget. I forget to use this drop because what are we doing right now? Now for my favorite part of the show. What did I say? Talk to the audience. Oh, God, this is always dead. Since we're at the two-hour mark, I figure we could play it now. You know. Oh, um, uh, this is our first of many from Dave. Pac-12 championship game. ACC is letting Notre Dame play in their game. Why doesn't the Pac-12 have USC play against BYU or Army? I mean, I I don't even know what the heck that's saying. Uh, because Notre Dame is an honorary member of the ACC this year, and there I think he's saying, why doesn't the Pac-12 just have USC play a different team for like? Same way as Notre Dame, but obviously it's the different circumstances. So I don't know, man. BYU or Arm? Yeah. Uh, I, I I would love to watch USC play BYU. Um, I think it'd be cool. They 
They play playing last the Service year. Academy would also be fun. Yeah, what the hell? But like, do it but for, for both champion- season. Who cares? But not for championship weekend. Like that would have been cool to like if it was a makeup game or something. Like what you know, Colorado got to play San Diego State. Um, but yeah, I don't know. You want to you want to knock out a few of his or should, sure. We, Pac-12 more? championship game continued. When I sent my previous email, I didn't realize Liberty is nine and one and New Mexico State is undefeated. Why not give them a shot at USC in a Pac-12 title? Okay, so maybe he's trolling. Okay, this this I like. Okay, good, good, good. So he's trolling. Uh, okay. All right, I think he might be trolling. We'll see. We 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 love the trolling effort. We want better grammatical skills when you do it, and then it'll help us to understand. It will help us to read it. There's a lot yeah. going on. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I think 100% New Mexico State should play USC for the Pac-12 title okay. on Friday. <laughs> I think I, actually, I think it should be announced on Thursday that they're yeah. going to do that, and then and then and then all of all of West Coast sports media can can just absolutely be like, oh my God, this is so unfair for USC. How are they going to beat New Mexico State on one day's <laughs> notice? You could you could literally roll the ball out there, like just roll it out there and say, hey, Drake London. Go run past those guys. I'm going to throw it to you. <laughs> I think I could hey, throw it to him. Hey, actually, actually, no. The only two guys who get to play for USC besides the walk-ons are the guys wearing number 15, and they would still beat New Mexico State. <laughs> That's true. It's a pretty good pair of 15s they have. Anyway. Um, All right. I'll get this I'll get this last one from Dave. Okay. This big one from Dave, and then you can do the next couple from Dave. Rose Bowl relocating rumors. I have so many questions about these rumors with Rose Bowl relocating due to COVID with possible new location in Dallas-Fort Worth area where they will let fans attend the game. Was hoping as a USC insider and UCLA contract holder, you will be able to answer. (laughs) Has anything like this happened before? First, I haven't heard this. Wait, you haven't heard? This was going to be in my notes going into it. So um, I think Pete Thamel was, or no, it might have been Stuart Mandel. Essentially... The Rose Bowl is a semifinal um, game for the college football playoff, but the the restrictions in California won't allow um, players' families to attend. So these are teams coming from the South where fans can attend. So they're kind of pissed off that they're not going to be able to watch their kids play in the game because it's being held uh, at the Rose Bowl. The Rose Bowl has been running since, I believe, 1915. Uh, and only one time wasn't it was held on the the East Coast one year because of uh, it was right after Pearl Harbor and they had like the West Coast locked down. So they moved the Rose Bowl. But now the Rose Bowl and the city of Pasadena both own the rights to the Rose Bowl. So you could not play a quote unquote Rose Bowl anywhere else except in Pasadena from what I've read. So there's push to move the game, the semifinal game somewhere else. And then there wouldn't be a Rose Bowl this year. Um, so the push to play somewhere else would just to be, so teams from the South, whatever, don't have to travel all the way across the country. And so players, families could watch the game. That's the nutshell of what I, what I understand. Okay. Well, that's not happening. Um, uh, has anything like this happened before? Ryan just said, what's stopping this from being a permanent change? Uh, I don't know. The Rose Bowl's cool. I mean, well, the parade, uh, like all this stuff, like this is a yeah. pandemic. So I, I, that's what I don't get. There's people are saying like, is this going to damage the Rose Bowl forever? And I'm just like, I just, I just think if they move it it's, for a year, they move it for a year. It's the granddaddy. Uh, yeah. Will this kill the chances of Pac-12 ever playing another Rose Bowl game? I don't know what that no. means. Uh, who is paying for this move? How much does it cost? What are the logistics? I don't know. 
Uh, if this turns into a permanent move, like, like I suspect it will, will UCLA continue to use the Rose Bowl as their home stadium? Actually, no. I, I, inside information, they'd actually go to Texas. They'd go to Dallas. Yeah, yeah, and no. Play UCLA moves State. to Texas. Yes. Um, how much easier is the trek from Westwood to Dallas than Westwood to Pasadena? Ten oh, percent easier. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this it's just like I know we're being trolled at some level here with like these number of emails and then the questions. I just don't know how or why, but we have this obligation to read all these things, and so it's just. Uh, will this improve UCLA's attendance? Sure. Does UCLA open a Dallas campus? Maybe. Am I being craft punked? I just can't believe a hundred thousand person bowl can get moved halfway across the country in under a month. <sighs> Dave, maybe you should reread some of the articles that are out there. Um, he goes on to coaching changes with Sumlin fired and Cristobal to Auburn, confirmed by a little mook. Uh, already gone. Who are the top replacements for each? So Mark Cristobal actually came out and made a statement today. Um, that he had not been contacted by Auburn. Um, sounds like he really wants to stay at Oregon. I know Canzano did a good column about why it's better for him to stay there. Auburn's coaching search does seem like it's a little bit of a mess, David, with a lot of cooks in there and people, you know, promoting Kevin Steele. It's like you're gonna, you know, you're gonna promote from within when you fire a guy that's, you know, getting twenty two million dollars. Like it seems like a little bit of a mess so far. But I, I don't know. I. I don't feel like Chris Ball is going to go, but I don't know if you think differently. His statement wasn't exactly like shutting the whole thing down. No, um, which so I think is genuine. I, like, I, I, well, I think he's probably leveraging for an extension and money. But if the price is right, I mean, these guys are mercenaries. I don't think Cristobal has any special allegiance to Eugene. Um, he's a, a southern guy, I think. Right. I mean, he's yeah, from like Florida originally. Yeah, I believe Florida, but I think they've been working on an extension for him. It's just the pandemic sort of like, yeah, put a rent in but that. if Auburn comes and says, hey, we'll give you a bucket of money, like $7 million a year, what's he going to do? Right. I mean, like now, would that be, would that be insanely overpaying for Mario Cristobal? You betcha. Yeah. Um, but Auburn is stupid. Um, I think they're going to learn very quickly what it's like to uh, have a mediocre coach in the era of Saban after having a very good coach in the era of Saban um, yeah. and being dissatisfied with him. Uh, it's not going to be fun, Auburn. No. Um, so, yeah, that, that'll be interesting. Um, with uh, someone, I think it's, you know, the, the suspects who've been named, like Brent Brennan. Um, I would like Nayo Matalolo. I've made that case, but... Um, they'll probably just go with some retread, um, who's not very good, because <laughs> uh, that's Arizona's way. Uh, I hear Arizona is interested oh, in. Oh, oh I was reading you were, this, but you go were ahead. doing you it. To... God. Okay, you go. You go. Do it. He did hear Arizona is interested in Sark. Um, his name's going to come up a few times. Will Oregon? He spells Oregon with a zero. Swoop in and snatch him first. Uh, I don't think Oregon would go with Sark. He was already at Washington. Coaching swap with Gus Malzahn. I don't think they would go there either. Um, Wilcox has some history with Oregon, but I just don't see them hiring a defensive coach that's never uh, attempted offense. Yeah, Aaron, I don't think that's a philosophical fit. Yeah. Aaron Field is the heart of the program. Do they promote him to keep the recruits? <laughs> okay, so obviously oh, trolling. Uh, I failed. Think. 
What? So yeah, Feld is the guy with the mustache who does the Flex Fridays. Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think he spelled Aaron. Right. Is that how he spells Aaron? I don't know. Like that's. Uh, it's Aaron Feld. Sorry, not uh, Field. Any other coaching I changes? Think we're getting hardcore huskied here. That's yeah. what's happening. Any other changes? Coaching changes this year. Uh, I mean, there'll be assistant coaching stuff, but I don't yep. think there's. Uh, is it weird that three and three feels like a big win for Chip Kelly? Has UCLA fans' expectations, including your own, dropped as low as mine? Carl Durrell has a big year. Any chance UCLA hires him and sends Chip back to Oregon? Um, yeah, it is weird that three and three feels like a big win for Chip Kelly. Um, I do think expectations are extremely low. Um, mine have not really dropped. I've just lost the ability to care. Um, Durrell, uh, no. He's never coming back to UCLA. No. I don't think Oregon would. I, I don't think Oregon would ever hire Chip again. But I don't know. <laughs> Stranger and weirder stuff has happened, and maybe I'm hoping they do. But yeah. Anyway, do you feel like how important do you feel winning this last game is? Because the Pac-12, you have to to be bowl eligible. I don't know if UCLA would want to go to a bowl, but to could win not this be, could not be more irrelevant. Really, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I feel the way about it that I'm predicting the players will feel about it, which is after USC, it just doesn't matter. Um, I think finishing four and three is negligibly different from three and four. Obviously, it's one game different. Um, I think it's a clearly better team either way. Like if they finish three and four, it's a clearly better team than year before the year before that. Um, but it's not so much better. It's not a sea change. It's just yeah. a clearly better team. Um, and I think that's true whether they win or lose against Stanford. Well, if they get blown out, then it won't be true. Like, if they get blown out by Stanford, that's a big step back from where they were right. a week ago. These are all getting dumber. I'm going to skip some of these. Um, we'll go to the yeah. next one. Pac-12 yeah. championship. Per Pac-12 yeah. state. I'm sorry. This is getting I, a little. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about cloning and stuff. Okay. Per Pac-12 statement, Oregon will represent the North Division against South division champs usc if oregon somehow wins am i interpreting correctly that they are just representing the north division and the pac-12 championship will be given to the pac-12 north champion no will jimmy lake and jake browning be on the sideline awarding the potential trophies uh, awaiting the potential trophy ceremony no okay all right i think we're done with the, Dave. those Dave. uh big nick trash talking a question i can answer it. Uh, oh you, you want to do this one yeah oh, you, you just read a bunch Okay. Hello, Trojan fans on this podcast. Did I do a good job? That was good. You were very good. Yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, so first and foremost, Fuckla, I think he, I don't know, typo. Yeah. Because he had the two F words before that. Maybe he just kind of got in a rhythm. Uh, sucks. <laughs> and we won another one against the Pansy wearing canary yellow and pansy blue. Fight on, SC. Dave, how does it make you feel to know a bad coach in Clay Helton owns your chipster? That's a great way of putting it. That, that <laughs> It makes me feel, it feels good, man. feels great. Uh, because he is. Clay Helton is, I, I'm going to be sincere again here on this show, which I'm so rarely sincere on. Uh, Clay Helton's a trash coach. Absolutely just kicked the shit out of that football game. Like he should have lost by 25. And instead they win. Because... Tyler Vaughn's is really good at football, and Drake London is really good at football, and Amon Ross St. Brown is really good at football, and Caden Slovis can throw it to him okay. Yeah, it sucks. Thank you. <laughs> LOL, enough with the great win for my Trojans. Uh, question is, 
for both Ryan and Dave, since you have done this Pac-12 title game, have you ever covered a game where that had an ass kicking like ASU uh, against Arizona at 70 to seven? Where was the mercy rule? Funnily enough, Nick, uh, the last one I can remember that was very similar was UCLA doing much the same thing to Arizona in 2012, 66 to 10. And that was 66 to three at one point, if I'm remembering correctly. There was a, I covered a USC, I think it was Arkansas game where it might've been, was it 70 to 14? I can Google it real quick. Um, yeah, that was like really, it was really bad. Um, so yeah, so that was, uh, let me see. Crap. There was a 50 to 14 and then there was a, no, that was 50 to 14. I think there was one before that. I forget which the, but yeah, that, that was pretty bad. That was the worst one I can kind of remember. Let me see. Oh, that was 70 to 17. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So pretty bad. And then he says, fight on and beat the zero national champions quacks. Oh, we got, we got a lot of like Oregon, Oregon hate in the last couple of emails. We got more Dave. Oh, crap. Is this worth reading or no? Uh, what do you think? No. We're, we're, we're past the two hour mark. Okay. I'll Sorry, do uh, Clay. There's no Mazzoni. Now that Noel Mazzoni has likely finished his fourth stop on his tour to be the, quote, Pac-12 offensive coordinator, which the, of the... Re- to be the Pac-12 offensive coordinator. Oh, I'm sorry. Which of the remaining eight <laughs> schools would be the best fit next year? So where will Noel Mazzoni go? Cal, Colorado, Oregon, Stanford, Utah, USC, Washington, or Washington State? My vote would be Cal. Musgrave has been... They were herocious. Even by recent Cal standards. Cal is last in the conference in yards per game and only ahead of Arizona in points per game. Another option that could be fun is USC, once Harold gets hired by someone else. Would be really interesting to see him back in L.A. That's from Clay in Phoenix. Good email, Clay. (laughs) Um, yeah, it would clearly have to be somebody who's going to make a switch or somebody who wasn't happy with their offensive production this year. Stanford's not a philosophical fit, so that wouldn't work. Yeah, he didn't play there and hasn't been there the last 12 years, so he can't he can't be the offensive coordinator there. So Utah, I don't think, is a philosophical fit. USC obviously wouldn't do it. Um, well, who knows? If Graham Harrell has to go and... The next offensive coordinator is like, I'm not going on with Clay Helton. He's a lame duck. Enter <laughs> enter 64-year-old Noel Mazzoni. Potentially. I could see it. That'd be kind of cool. All right. So I think uh, USC or maybe uh, USC, Cal, and Colorado are the only real options here. You don't think well, like a Washington? No, Washington's not going to do that after year one. And Washington State for sure not because. Yeah, not yeah. a fit. Yeah. All right. I think you got the last one with Hithliday. All right. Ooh, Hithliday. All right. <laughs> the corner of Croesus and Mammon. Is it Croesus? Croesus and Mammon. All right. Let's that. learn about Croesus and Mammon. All right. Croesus was the last king of Lydia, known for his great wealth. Okay. Um, Mammon. Oh, this is a Simpsons reference. 
Okay, and Mammon is, you know, wealth is evil. You know that whole thing. Um, this weekend, Auburn fired Gus Malzahn, and they've made an offer to Mario Cristobal, and at this point, there's no resolution yet. I'm writing this at 11 a.m. on Tuesday morning, so the short-term particulars may be moot by the time you boys get around to recording, but there are long-term implications relevant to the conference. The way that Oregon insiders have framed this is that Cristobal, all else being equal, wants to stay in Eugene as long as Oregon roughly matches the offer. Which is to say, if the Oregon money people are committed to doing the Clemson thing and making a fundamental step up in financial commitment to playing serious national contender level football, setting aside the short-term implications of blowing up the program, it seems like blinking on that long-term program identity question is what would be really devastating. Do you boys see it the same way? Is the list of Pac-12 programs that can be at that level limited to USC, and if they get this right, Oregon? Should UCLA be included if they ever get their act together? Are there institutional barriers to schools like Washington, Cal, and ASU, all located in big metros with decent talent pools and potential booster cash, ever joining that list? Huh. Um, I mean, I think you can look at this as, do you think Mario Cristobal is the, you know, second coming? Is he going to be the guy that brings you, like, the Chip Kelly levels of success? Or if Auburn's going to pay him $7 million, is it worth Paying, would you be better off getting someone else? I mean, it wasn't you know, What's Colorado. Your opp- would, you you, you know? got to look at it from like an opportunity cost standpoint. And uh, are you are you losing a lot by having to pay like two or three extra million a year for Cristobal? Like, are we really getting into value stuff when like Oregon has Xboxes in every locker room or whatever? Yeah. Okay. So I I get the point here, which is I think you do step up your commitment to him, even though. I would say it's plainly obvious that Cristobal is not an elite coach. Like he's not Saban or Meyer or anything like that level. Um, I, I think it remains to be seen whether he's even a very good coach. But I think from like a commitment standpoint, um, I think it's a, a sign to others in the future. If you're willing to commit a bunch of money to Mario Cristobal, that you are a serious program that's serious about being, you know, an elite contender. Yeah. Um, and I think it signals to recruits that, too, to a lesser extent. But I think it also just it puts you on the stage in a way that, um, uh, you know, trying to make a value play right now wouldn't. Um, and it's Oregon. It's Nike. They've got the money. It's not a money question. It's, a, you know, whether they're willing to step up to the plate and do it. And that's not to say that Mario Cristobal is worth the money, but the statement you're making might be. Um so I, I, that's kind of the way I would look at it. So I think you, because you don't want to blow up your program right now. Um, you don't want to have your, what would that be? Fourth head, or third head, no, fourth head coach in five years. Is that what it would be? Uh, I think it would, right? Would that be? Yeah, because Taggart was there a year. Then it'd be Cristobal for two years. Then it'd be a new guy. And then it was um, Helfrick before them. So, yeah, I think uh, you definitely want to retain him. Um, and if it's, you know, something where you can get pretty close to the whatever Auburn's offering, then do it. Um, as for the larger question about Oregon, uh, I think the way they're recruiting right now tells me that they can sustain um, as a top-tier program. Um, just uh, so much of it is just based on talent. Can you get the talent in? And I think Oregon, uh, I think it helps that they were such a, a – a, a hot program um, from 2009 to 2013. Um, and then I think the Nike money obviously helps. I think Cristobal and his staff, the way they recruit 
obviously helps um, the mentality they've brought to it. But however it's happened, uh, Oregon has turned into an elite recruiting power. And that uh, almost by itself uh, and more or less by definition makes you an elite program because you're nothing without talent. Um, so I, I think Oregon is is in that level. Um, UCLA, yeah, has the potential to get there again. Um, Washington, Cal, and ASU, I think it requires, um, it would require a building. It would require basically what Oregon got done in the early 2000s to get it done there. And that's not to say it can't happen, but it needs to, you know, there needs to be that uh, surge of, you know, quality play from quality coaching, um, which then leads to the recruiting windfalls. I think Washington's recruited well. But they're not recruiting at elite top tier level. They would need to get major plus coaching to turn their talent into a national title winner. Um, and we just haven't seen that yet from Jimmy Lake or his staff. No, so, I mean, with Chris Peterson there, I think you had a chance to kind of build that up. And even yeah. though there's continuity, like he's going to have to build a name for himself where Peterson already had that. And you could see, I think the path was easier with Peterson there. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that was the thinking going in. I think in the end, Peterson ended up being very good there. I don't know if he was such a... The thing is, wherever Urban Meyer ends up, they're going to be a national title contender. He could end up at Boston College, and Boston College would suddenly be a national title contender in two years because he's Urban Meyer, because he's that good. Wherever Nick Saban goes, if he ever went anywhere, they will be a national title contender. I think what we saw with Chris Peterson is that he's very good, but he's not those guys. Um, and I think that was something we were wondering about leaving Boise State. And then I think it was proven at Washington that he's a very, very good head coach, but he's not he's not that that super elite top tier um, that those guys are. Um, I think for and I, I don't know that. I don't know. I, I don't think it requires a Saban or a Meyer for Washington to do it, but it might require a Saban or a Meyer, like discovering somebody like that uh, for Cal or ASU to ever get to that level. Um, you know, Cal almost put it together with Tedford um, and Tedford was a really, really good offensive coach when he had his fastball um, there at the beginning. Um, but even that they weren't able to sustain. Um, and I think it just you've, you've got to have one of these just absolute maniacs as your head coach um, who's going to just take every ounce of your top 20 talent and turn it into a top five team. If you're going to be ever that level at those programs. Yeah. I love that. This is, I, so I looked it up. Yeah. That's the, the corner of where Mr. Burns's uh, mansion is. Yeah. Um, so one's wealth, like, a, you know, like a whatever. And then the other one's like greed. So something like that, you know, it's essentially, so that's cool. Yeah. Um, right. Good stuff. Thanks, Hitler Day. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for writing in and calling in and all that good stuff. Anything else, Dave? Do we, do we no. have more to cover? God, no. We're close to two and a half hours. So <laughs> I thought it was going to be shorter because we, first of all, it's a short week. We went from Wednesday to Tuesday. We only had four games to recap and only four to preview because all of us were canceled. Well, but. And I feel bad because, look, I, I generally appreciate people trolling us and I understand that we are being trolled. But my energy level for being trolled right now is so low, like so low. Yeah. And so, Dave, I, I appreciate your one, two, three, four, five, six, seven emails that you sent in about a day. <laughs> um, but I just I can't I can't I can't summon the energy. 
And so it's not your fault. You did you did your best work. You tried to troll us, but we were just we weren't there for you today. And I apologize. Yeah. That's all right. But thanks for the emails. Maybe consolidate a little next time and or spread them out. I think that know? was part of the troll though. I think part of the troll yeah. was sending seven different emails. True. And then we eventually got the we're like, all right, we just can't do this anymore. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, hey, thanks all for if you're still listening. We appreciate very much. And uh, next week we'll recap hopefully the four games that are scheduled, and uh, we'll figure out you know we'll maybe talk some signing day stuff after that because Wednesday's signing day. So we'll see how the Pac-12 does. We'll have some shows and stuff coming up, preview bowl games, all that kind of stuff. How, I don't know. It, how real quick, Dave? How many bowl games do you think the Pac-12 teams are going to be involved in? I think they'll figure something out um, and play games. I don't know if they'll be bowl games, but I think they'll try to get anybody who wants one a game. Okay. So there like I think they'll game. maybe they'll do some more interconference stuff. I don't know. That'd be fun. Just something, you know. All right. Well, that's going to wrap things up. Uh, he is David Woods. I am Ryan Abraham. Thank you so much for tuning in to the podcast of champions, and we will talk to you next time. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.